I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found check battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, What's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That's mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Tacticam. Tacticam is by far the easiest way to begin filming your hunts. Whether it's a budget-friendly solo or the 4K 5.0, Tacticam has something for everyone. Check them out at Tacticam.com. This year we are also partnered with Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge uses military intelligence to track deer patterns using data from insurance companies, collared deer studies, and even social media. Spartan Forge uses the same techniques used to plan military operations to predict and pattern white-tailed deer. Spartan Forge. Find. Fix. Finish. You can check them out at SpartanForge.ai, and you can use the code BOWHUNTER to save 25%. All right, another great episode for you guys today. This is uh, our friend Taylor Chamberlain uh, was on the podcast, you know, back in 2018, and uh, we've since come to know Taylor pretty well, and you'll you'll tell this on the on the podcast. I mean, uh, there's lots of laughs. Um, this was um, just you know, kind of catching up with him, kind of reintroducing it to the the listeners. Uh, but we were able to get some really good information out of Taylor. Taylor hunts 200, 250 days a year in the suburbs of uh, D.C. and uh, kills a lot of deer. Um, and, you know, so he targets deer maybe in a different way than a lot of us do because he's shooting mainly does. Uh, so we talk about hunting doe bedding. We talk about hunting... Um, you know, deer movement and how deer are using the terrain and kind of the, the features um, and things that he looks for um, that he's noticed in, in trends over the years. Um, and then we talk a lot about gear. So, you know, Taylor, he has the opportunity to sit, you know, maybe uh, as much as some guys will hunt in 10 years um, in, in a single year. Um, so, He's trying a lot of different things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he talks a little bit about the saddles. We get into the the hawk uh, saddle and, and, and all of that and with tethered and, and whatnot. 
Um, but we talk a lot about um, uh, packs and clothing and layering and um, all sorts of stuff there. So um, <laughs> there's there's a lot of good information in this uh, episode uh, as much as we're uh, laughing and screwing around. But um, I just wanted to um, real quick, There's <laughs> it seems like with our Patreons, Patreon giveaways, um, it just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing. So uh, I got a few more Patreons. Uh, Patreon is a crowdfunding for creators. Um, you know, you, the guys out there, they help run the show. They're invested in us and we give back to them. Uh, basically, at this point, it's $5 a month, uh, 17 cents a day to help out the show. Um, all of the things that, that we do, um, you know, uploading, uh, hosting, um, all of our giveaways, all of these things, you know, all, all the stuff, trying gear, uh, donating things, uh, it all, you know, costs money. And that comes straight from the Patreons and we can't thank you enough. Um, Isaac Shields out of Indiana, uh, Michael Tierney, uh, St. Joe, Michigan, and then Andrew, man, you're one of these guys, Mahio, Mahio, Mahalo, uh, out of Pearson, Michigan. Um, and then Scott Lee. Scott, uh, I hope that you win something. I hope you win a lot of stuff. Uh, but to do so, I'm going to need you to let me know your address. I sent you a message on uh, through Patreon, but I don't know where you're from. Um, so I'd send out uh, koozies and stickers and other swag to the guys that sign up for Patreon can't do that for you scott so i know you're listening because you signed up appreciate it but i need your address so um this uh we do quarterly giveaways so this quarter um tacticam has given uh tacticam 5.0 uh with the turkey reaper and one thing i forgot to say on the last episode is what tacticam is asking is that for the winner if you kill something with this tacticam they want you to send in the footage and they will edit it up um, and put it on Tacticam's uh, YouTube, put it on all of their social media um, as one of the win- winners for us. So that's pretty cool, um, you know, to be on Tacticam's, uh, all of their media campaign uh, for, for something that you won. So they're giving away one of those. Um, and then because of uh, my relationship with uh, Latitudes and uh, hunted out of the classic quite a bit this year, Alex said, hey, why don't we give you a, a classic to give away? So we're going to be giving away one of those. I've got some XOP mini sticks, so I'm just going to make it an entire saddle package. Um, I'll get you some ropes. Not sure what I'm going to do on a platform as of right now, but it'll be uh, you know some XOP mini sticks, uh, classic saddle, and then a, a platform of some sort and some some ropes. Um, and then on top of that, we work with Base Map, so Base Map gives away a pro package. Um, you know, so they you get. All the features, all the layers. We're going to be ice fishing um, this weekend uh, out on a lake that we're not familiar with. And you can use Base Map. They've got inland lakes. It'll show you depths. It's not, you know, it's not going to replace a flasher or a GPS, um, you know, uh, sonar unit or anything like that. But it'll give you an idea where you're at on the lake and uh, where the depths are, where the drop-offs are. So that's a pretty cool feature that Basemap offers. And they also offer 20% off uh, of already great value. So if you go online and you want to sign up for Basemap, you use code CHRONICLES, you get 20% off. And so it makes it $24 for the entire year, which, I mean, that's, that's hard to beat uh, in any event. 
hearing that, we're working with Spartan Forge. I was talking to Bill. Bill said, hey, I'll give away uh, one of our memberships, and we've got some hats and swag. Uh, and we'll give that away, too, and that's what Basemap is doing as well. So so we're going to be giving away that. And with uh, Spartan Forge, uh, I was just talking with Bill. He said that he is giving um, some – there's going to be some updates to the software. Um, and coming right about February, um, there's going to be a whole new section for scouting and everything like that. He's going to go over that with me. Um, but So there are updates and changes coming for that. And then – after my uh, live on Instagram the other day, the guys from Zinger Fletchings said, hey, we'll, we'll give you some of those to give away for your Patreon giveaway. So, I mean, if you sign up for your 17 cents a day, you've got a pretty good chance of winning some great items, you know. But if that's not for you, not a big deal. Um, you know, just tell somebody about the show. Let them know. Leave us a review. Um, that really helps us. And, you know, let us know what we're doing good. Let us know what we're, you know, what we can improve upon probably these intros um but i got so much damn stuff to give away so i'm i just got to give everybody their due and this is just for this quarter um as we go throughout the year we're giving away a bunch of other stuff which leads me to the next thing even if you don't sign up for patreon we're giving away a bow um so we've kind of dialed it in what we're going to give away uh, we're not working with any companies the our local bow shop is helping us out but we've been doing this so long and um, you know, John setting up these bows and everything. Uh, we just thought it fitting that we should set up a bow and give it away to one of the listeners. And we're going to do that, um, through our YouTube page. We're going to be, uh, videoing the whole process. John's going to be kind of explaining what he's doing as far as like from getting a new bow and setting it up completely. Um, and the bow we're going to be giving away, uh, just because of, you know, it's a pretty balanced bow, kind of anybody can shoot it is the Bowtech Carbon Zion. So that's their new iteration of the Carbon Icon. Uh, very similar uh, bows that we're familiar with. I've been shooting the um, Diamond Deploy and the Carbon Knight. And it's just the next version of that little different grip, but fits just about everybody. Um, and then we've teamed up with HHA. They've given us one of their Tetra single pin sights uh, to put on there. And one of their uh, Virtus rests. And so, I mean, that's like some really high-end accessories. We still got to get some uh, stabilizers and a quiver. But it's going to be all set up for you. Um, and we were discussing whether we're going to do arrows or not. But I don't think, you know, without knowing the person's draw length or whatever, that we're going to be able to build a set of arrows. Uh, we may... Uh, try and throw that in there. Maybe somebody out there will say, hey, I'll give you some arrows because that's kind of the way that this whole thing's come together. But um, you don't have to be a Patreon to win that. Um, it's just going to be, uh, you can go and sign up. I'll have that link up uh, February 1st. Uh, so be watching for that. Watch for that on YouTube. And uh, But the Patreons are definitely going to have precedent. So uh, Patreons are basically going to get um, five to ten times uh the entries um so if they're subscribed to our youtube you know that's 10 entries if they're uh you know they like a post or whatever you know whatever we come up with uh but everybody's going to have an opportunity to win this it's not just the patreons and if you're left-handed uh we're going to be kind of stuck on that one so uh if it's one of our patreons we'll certainly uh work with you on that if you're not one of the patreons we'll send you the bow 
and you can horse trade it for a left-handed model or contact me. We'll, we'll do something. But um, that's coming up. That's the bow we're going to be giving away. It's all the stuff that we're giving away to our patrons uh, through this first quarter. So that'll all happen uh, by April. So there's plenty of time to sign up for that. You can do that at bowhunterchronicles.com. Just click on the or bowhunterchroniclespodcast.com. Click on the Patreon link or patreon.com forward slash bowhunterchroniclespodcast. Um, but anyways, thanks for listening. Long intro, kind of a long podcast, but this one is so much information, so fun. Um, you guys are really going to enjoy this one because I certainly did. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for listening. All right, everybody, Adam and John back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. We've got uh, beers at the ready for this one. Um, we were talking before the podcast a year ago today, um, or this weekend, whatever. This was the ATA show, and uh, this would be the Sunday where everybody's all hungover. And uh, our guest here uh, never made an appearance uh, because of the evening priors, uh, festivities, uh, one of our good friends, and he was on the podcast. I was looking it up like back in 2018. So we've got a lot of new listeners. They may not have heard the stories, um, or may not be familiar with, uh, Taylor Chamberlain, Hunt Urban. So, uh, how you doing, Taylor? I'm awesome. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sorry that I was not able to make it to join you guys at the ATA show. It was all my good buddy Billy's fault. Okay? <laughs> he tends to bring out the brown water side of me. And <laughs> once that starts, that just doesn't stop. I do remember that night uh, whipping around. That was the first time I've ever rented. This was a Saturday night before I was unable to come meet you guys. Uh, I'd never rented one of those little like electric scooter things, whatever they're called. Um, what are those called? I don't know. I, this electric scooter. This electric scooter. Yeah. I know that there's a well, the app yeah. for it or whatever. Yeah, the green yeah. deals. Yeah, Lime. Is it? It's called Lime. Yeah, I think right. Yeah. So yeah, I've never right. ridden one of those. Of course, I'm the I'm the urban hunter guy, and I have no clue what the stupid <laughs> thing's called. Shows you how often I Uber. Um, <laughs> but uh, I do remember after we were leaving, like the fifth or sixth bar that I was at with Billy, he was like, let's just take these lime things. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then at one point when I was on it, going about 40 in the road in Indy, the front wheels wobbling, I'm like, this is probably a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> little, little too much liquid courage uh, in here. But yeah, that's why I was uh, dead to the world the next day and had to extend my uh, my hotel stay. So it didn't. Billy had to go home early yeah, on that trip too. Something wife was family. sick or kids were sick or something. Some kind of family. yeah. I think his I think his wife was sick, but he like drove up there to tell me that. Hung <laughs> 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 out for a day and turned and left. But yeah, we were there with uh, a lot of the tethered crew, and uh, we were having a good time for sure. Yeah, I just remember you kept ordering like some pink, like cosmopolitan drinks. I think they were for Zach Rao. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so anybody, uh, most people that know me know that I, I thoroughly enjoy uh, bourbon, and I I'll drink bourbon until the cows come home from sun up to sundown. But uh, our good friend Zach had not had a lot of experience at bars, and he was ordering a. Uh, everything on on the menu kind of going down it. and he found a drink that he really liked 
and the only downside to it was I think it was served with a umbrella in it and uh, <laughs> slices of fruit. And generally, as a rule of thumb, as a guy, uh, probably shouldn't be ordering drinks that come with an umbrella and fruit in them, unless you're like on the yeah, beach I, somewhere. I, yeah, on the beach somewhere, and then it's kind of okay. But um, not that I'm one to judge. You know, do whatever you want to do, but. Uh, I'm personally not going to be the guy ordering the foo-foo drinks at Mar. Well, Zach, we love you, and uh, it was awesome entertainment. So thanks for doing that <laughs> well, for all of our all of our enjoyment. So uh, for uh, anybody who wasn't around 2018, or maybe they're not familiar with you, other than the guy that shit his pants in a saddle, um, can that you was tell, me. Yeah, can you, can you tell us a little bit of uh, history of like you know, like, like pushing Jello through a pushing Jello <laughs> through a cheese grater. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so for those of you that haven't heard that story, you're welcome, uh, <laughs> probably for the better that you didn't. But yeah, my name's Taylor Chamberlain. Uh, I live in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. Uh, I get to hunt year-round uh, with a bow, which is pretty cool. We have a uh, majorly overpopulated uh, whitetail herd here, and um, I get to spend anywhere from 200 to 250-plus days a year in a tree, so... My wife loves that or hates that. I really don't know how that works out, actually, but um, <laughs> I'm sure she enjoys it. But it's uh, it's awesome, and you know, obviously, we have unlimited tags, and I get to fill uh, fill a lot of deer, so it's uh, it's great. But that also kind of is how I got into hunting from a saddle. I mean, I've been doing that for um, God, thir- this is my 13th year um, hunting from a saddle on the verbs, and um, it definitely gives you a lot of time to play with different hunting options and figure out what you like and what you don't. And, um, I'm sure we'll get into that, but that's basically how, uh, how I came to be involved with tethered and all of the hunting industry and, and all the good stuff that's happened since then, which is, you know, basically just drinking bourbon with you guys at ATA <laughs> once a year. So. Yeah, I know. Renting, renting lime scooters. <laughs> so, you know, we were fortunate enough to uh, talk with Warren Womack recently, you know, and he was talking about the number of deer that, that he's killed. And it seems like, you know, uh, an insurmountable number. He's like nearing 400. Um, it, have you kept a tally of like all the deer that you've killed? Um, I have not. You know, I, that's like the number one question that I get is like, you know, how many deer a year do you kill or how many have you killed in your lifetime? And, um, for me, I actually make a point to not count. And the reason that I, I don't count the deer that I kill is because, uh, I feel like it's kind of, um, it, it kind of like discredits that deer's life, right. To where if you're just adding a notch in the crotch, uh, to every time you whack one, that like that deer only had one life to give. So if that's the first deer of the year I kill or the 150th deer of the year that I kill, like it was the same thing for that deer. So, um, you know, I, I don't count. It's a lot. Like, I mean, um, it, it's, I'm well over 400 for sure. Lifetime, uh, probably well past double that. So, but, Again, it's kind of, it's funny how, um, for some people, like, and I think it's a good thing that you have a respect for the animal and that, like, 
some people only get to harvest one deer a year. I mean, I remember talking to like one of my really good buddies, Taylor Coleman, like he gets a tag and, and he was like, dude, like I cherish every moment of that. And, and I mean, from blood trailing to recovery to field dressing. And for me, it's like, Oh, this, that's just Tuesday night. You know, like this is the, or, or on Saturday morning, that's like the fifth year I killed this week, or maybe I shot four in one sit. Um, it's just, it's part of the habit. It's part of the hunt for me. And, it, and that's not a good thing. Like I, I think that sometimes I lose, um, lose track of how special it is to, you know, harvest an animal and, and put food in the freezer. So, um, but yeah, it's just it's kind of funny how how things get skewed like that, and as far as like you get used to part of your habit or not, uh, and and kind of lose track of counting. Uh, but yeah, I, I purposely just I, I don't like to count them, but it, it's a lot. Well, I just could. I mean, that's a very nice like thought out sentiment, but I just couldn't help but think about like being an asshole and being like, you know, well, that's why I don't score my deer either. Cause whether it's like 11 <laughs> inches or, you know, 160, it really doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it matters. I just, uh, I gave up on scoring 64 inch 12 pointers a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm just, I, I enjoy shooting them there. I could probably go through and, and count all the broadheads that are sitting over in a pile right now in my man cave that, uh, I was intending to sharpen months ago. They're just sitting there in various states of like covered in blood or bloody and dirty or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, not something I focus on a ton. I do pay a lot of attention though to, um, I keep records as to pretty much everything on a hunt. So I keep very detailed information and, I used to keep insanely detailed information. And as I started picking up patterns and kind of, uh, finding correlation between like successful hunts and different things, I, I stopped keeping, uh, detailed records on that as I kind of, I don't want to say I solved the puzzle, but I figured out a, a pretty decent pattern. Um, but you know, for the people that don't know me or, or don't, know my backstory i taught myself how to hunt um i don't come from a hunting family had no exposure to hunting growing up i i got into hunting when i was in college and i lived kind of in the mountains on the virginia west virginia border doing my undergrad um really just fell in love with hunting and just spent every waking moment in the woods that i was not partying or playing golf <laughs> and introducing myself to every woman in the tri-state area. So, um, after school, I moved back to Northern Virginia, right on, right outside of DC, which is where my, you know, where I was born and raised and where my, uh, family businesses. And so I really don't have an option to not live there, uh, and, you know, do the job that I want to do. So, um, I just remember thinking like, oh, this kind of sucks. And then I, I got into hunting around here uh, where there was a big military base. It was about an hour drive from my house. And I used to drive, you know, in traffic past all these places to go hunt an area and not see a lot of deer. 
I'd see deer all over the side of the road and in people's yards, etc. And, um, you know, long story short, I eventually got my grandmother to get me permission on a handful of her buddies properties, uh, in and around Northern Virginia. And I went out to my first one, I shot four deer and was hooked. And from there it just kind of spiraled into me, you know, bow hunting in the suburbs. Um, and you know, kind of along that journey, I was really curious as to why deer are moving, where they're moving, kind of why they're moving in those locations, what weather patterns make a move, um, what wind direction, kind of all these pieces to the puzzle. What are they eating? Why are they eating it? And, and really, every time I, I went on a hunt, I just kept asking the question why, kind of working down that rabbit hole taking really copious notes of it. And, um, I mean, to this day, I still have a, I used to have a giant whiteboard in my man cave, but now it's a spreadsheet. Thank God for Google. Um, where I keep track of all the properties that I hunt on all the, um, like neighborhoods that I hunt in and when their trash comes, when the school bus comes, where the stops are for them, if they're not in front of the house, um, you know, what time the mail guy comes by, UPS guys, because all that stuff affects deer movement uh, in the suburbs. And uh, really, like when the landscapers come is a big deal that you want to know about. Um, and so I started keeping track of all that along with wind direction when I was hunting it, uh, time of year, and, and figuring out why those deer were moving. And ended up getting a pretty good pattern because – like at the end of the day, I'm pretty anal and uh, I like to be as efficient as possible. And like, I know it's hunting, but when I go out and hunt, I'm expecting uh, to harvest something because I feel like I put in the work year round to get to that point. And I mean, within a 15 minute drive of my house, I have well over a thousand trees that I can go climb. So it, like I'm able to pick hopefully the right tree because I've put in the work and, you know, God knows I'm running enough trail cameras and all that, that I should be able to, to find a deer. And, um, you know, there's, there's no shortage of deer here. I mean, the, you know, my goal is to harvest antlerless deer. Um, our carrying capacity in this area should be in the 10 to 12 deer per square mile, uh, number range. And, they cannot even get an accurate guess based on how overpopulated the deer are here. But their best guess is bef between 420 and 425 deer per square mile. <laughs> cool. So it's, yeah, I mean, dude, it's gnarly. And, and it's, it's, it's sad. You see these like emaciated deer, you see deer that are like eating bark off of a tree because they just have nothing else to eat. Um, you know, Lord knows you're not putting any anything that's semi palatable out in front of your house because they'll just destroy it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's you should be able to pick the right tree and go find deer and, and put an arrow on one if you're if you're paying attention. So with that said, like I mean, obviously you're hunting all these days a year. You got to be like the perfect candidate for like 
evaluating equipment. I mean, like your bow, your yeah, arrow, so that, you, you got sh- exactly. That, that's how I got into the hunting industry, right? So I, um, I'm, I have a very analytical mind. Uh, I approach things in a very anal and analytical way. And, um, you know, I started doing a lot of work with broadheads. Um, the rage hypodermics were one of the first heads that I was testing as a prototype. Um, and then I started working a lot with first light, uh, testing their clothing. And, and, you know, this was back in like 2013, I think 12 or 13. And then, um, that just kind of snowballed into more like bows, arrows. I do a ton of bow tuning, uh, arrow tuning. I'm, I'm just like a very meticulous person. And, uh, I wish I wasn't sometimes because <laughs> this is how my brain works that like, you know, I, I get super down the rabbit hole on, on stuff and try to make everything absolutely perfect. And, um, you know, so yeah, to answer your question, I guess kind of, I don't, I guess that wasn't a question, but yeah, I got really into testing product and, and testing gear. But if you think about it, I mean, I'm able to hunt more in a year than some people do in their entire life as, as a weekend warrior, which is really kind of crazy to think about when you start adding up the hours that, that my ass is in a saddle. Um, I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about how many hours I, I spend in somebody's backyard staring at trees waiting to grab my bow. So I want to get in, before we get into like gear and stuff, I want to talk a little bit about that, exactly what you're saying there, like the, the, the time on stand, right? So like last time you were on, you had mentioned a book uh, called, I believe it was Mapping Trophy Whitetails. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you had said was like, kind of like the most influential where you said earlier, how you had kind of like figured out how deer use terrain and stuff like that. So. Yep. You know, we obviously talk to a lot of public land guys and it's, um, you know, that's kind of, you know, who our, our core audience is. But there's a lot of guys that also have, you know, these small acre properties, probably not small acres like what you're talking about, where it's maybe not even an acre. But, you know, so what do you think is the most um, important, like, terrain feature or how deer use the woods on these, you know, small tracts of land. I mean, how, what would you say to guys that are hunting a five acre, 10 acre piece, like that they know have deer on there. They know that they move through there. You know, how do you, how would you use that? John, he's grabbing another beer right now, but he's saying he's got three or four acres. So good for for you, John. I, I, John, how many beers do you have total? There with you is what I want to know. I don't even know a refrigerator full, so. <laughs> Good. Well, I, I, your challenge has now been laid down, so let's see how many we can get through. <laughs> if you're not drooling and mumbling into the microphone by the end of the evening, something went wrong. Um, <clears throat> I don't think there's one specific uh, terrain feature, so... You know, mapping trophy bucks was the thing that really opened my eyes to like, holy smokes, these deer move the same in Ohio as they do in Pennsylvania and all these other places because it never occurred to me that deer as a species are going to have the same defense mechanism 
um, inherently, you know, ingrained in them to want to travel in the same spot. And so uh, once I read that book, that really was like a light bulb moment. And that's when I started really seeking out the stuff that was in that book. But what was difficult for me was trying to like find anywhere that had ag because anywhere that I've hunted in my entire life, really without going to, to like the Midwest on some of these like awesome trips I get to go on, there's no ag anywhere. It's just all big woods. And, and, um, so trying to like figure out, okay, like where are the deer going to be in this chunk of 5,000 acres or, or 2000 acres or a hundred acres or whatever. I think the biggest thing that most people get wrong right out of the bat or, or maybe not wrong, but the thing that they need to pay attention to is take the property lines off the map and, and take the, the, lines that you're focused that you have to color within off the map and just look at the map itself and think okay why would a deer be here or there or where would a deer go and from there it's okay well where's the safest place to sleep where's the food and how do they get between those or where's the food and and how where are they going to bed because that's the place to eat and if you kind of answer the two questions of, you know, where's the safest place they can spend the majority of their time and where's, where are they going to go get food and water, you will find deer. Um, with that being said, I focus a lot on bedding and transition areas from bedding to, to food. But in a big wood scenario, it's really kind of hard to know where the food is unless you, you know, get lucky and stumble across some oaks. So, uh, I'm predominantly looking for points for, I, I love this time of year. I love like a thermal cover. So like a chunk of pine trees or holly trees uh, in the middle of hardwoods that are kind of on like a point um, or that leeward side that will always have like a thousand does in them. Not literally, but well, maybe here. Um, so like I know to focus on those areas this time of year because those are are loaded with deer so uh and that's the other thing is i try to think of the seasonality of, of why is a deer going to be somewhere so obviously i'm not hunting white oaks um in january february well not in virginia i guess <laughs> there might be somewhere in the world uh but that could be decent but yeah so the, the from there i think the really most important thing on these smaller properties smaller parcels is access and pressure and making sure that when you do go in and hunt it's to kill something and then you're out of there or if you're going to hunt it maybe you hunt it two or three days in a row and then you're out of there the worst thing you can do is just pound the snot out of a property and because every time you're going in you're educating with deer. <laughs> it, it's not possible to not have your presence be known on those tiny, tiny properties where, I mean, even if it's in the middle of the night, that deer is crossing your boot scent and they're going like, okay, a dude was here. Where'd the dude go? Why was the dude here? I mean, clearly there's danger um, if a random dude's walking in here that they're not used to having happen. So there's one property that, that I hunt where the homeowner takes uh, all their landscaping 
stuff out and debris and they just dump it in the back of their yard. I walk that exact trail in and out every time and climb a tree right on top of that landscaping heap because they can't tell the difference between me walking in there and the person. And so that allows me to be way more aggressive on that property than maybe a property that some 90 year old lady lives at and she doesn't set foot outside of her house, except for when the guy comes and mows the grass. I mean, you know, the, the deer know those like the bubbles of interference that the humans enter into. And the second that you cross that threshold, they start picking up on it. And if you do it too much, all they're going to do is they're going to relocate to a safer spot. So as far as like the number one thing, it's really bedding. So that that's a really high level kind of bubble to start dissecting, but find the bedding and then uh, find access points that get you tight to that bedding without having the deer know that you're coming in there. Yeah. Cause I mean, for me, um, <laughs> that's one of the things is trying to, you know, figure all this stuff out. And then, you know, you've got, you pick up a five acre property here, or, you know, you've got 10 acres that you used to hunt over here. And it's like, you know, there's deer tracks here, but there's, you know, maybe no trees. There's maybe, you know, and everybody wants to go and, you know, put in a little food plot or do this or do that. And there's all these kind of gimmicky things or, you know, trendy things where it's like, you know, you're not putting in food plots or doing any of this stuff on these little tiny pieces but like we talked about before on the last podcast way back when was you know you, you were doing just that looking at like where the deer would use you know where the deer would use to move between these places and things like that and you know for people listening they might think well this guy's in a place where there's 400 deer per square mile how you know it's going to be easy to kill him so you know just looking at that big picture and stuff yeah, that's why. Yeah, and it's funny because, so, I would say it's harder to kill a deer in the suburbs than it is to go kill a deer in, in like a big woods environment. Because for me, <clears throat> if I want to go kill a deer in the big woods, I, I find that really easy because what I'm used to is looking kind of through the pinhole and only having this tiny little little piece of ground to to play with. On a big chunk of woods, I can just like go, okay, I think they're going to bed here, 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 and here. Then I'll go look through those areas or you know, do something to verify that there are deer in there and then chip away slowly and uh, and kill one. In the suburbs, it's, it's hard because there might be like a little, I mean like little, like a 10 foot by 10 foot little patch of bamboo between two houses and the deer have found it and they're living in there. Um, or there might be a spot that you think is like the greatest patch of holly trees that'll hold deer late season, but the neighbor lets their dog run in there and take a dump every afternoon. And so the deer haven't been in there in 20 years or 10 years, you know, it, it's just, there are all these weird like extracurricular things that are always happening in the suburbs. Uh <laughs> especially after last weekend in DC that are, uh, you know, there's just crazy crap going on all the time. And there are always people in the woods. There's nowhere that you can really 
be totally away from everyone. So um, to find these little pockets of bedding and, and figure out where the deer want to either how they're going to get into that bedding or get out of that bedding in the morning or the evening and go in and kill them is the best way I found to do it. it. It's the most consistent and efficient. And to your point, like that's all I have. Like I know where the deer is going to bed or I can figure out where the deer is going to bed. I don't have a clue where the deer is going to go eat or, or I might have an idea of where the deer is going to go eat. But if I'm sitting over that food, there's a much lower probability chance of the deer getting to the food at a time that I can shoot it and, and not have it be dark or, uh, for like an evening hunt or have it, you know, have the deer already be there when you get there in the morning and blow them out. But like, I know the deer's got to sleep. The deer is going to spend the majority of the time that I'm able to hunt it in its bed. And I'm going to get as tight to that bedding as I can, uh, to kill it. And, and so that, to me really made the most sense when I started getting into it. And, you know, betting is, is always different where you go, but you can kind of start picking up on like trends or, or what deer like. And so there might be a five acre spot that I pick up and I'm like, okay. And I look at it on the, on an aerial map. And I'm like, all right, well this little patch of, of hardwood here in the middle, like seems like a spot that, I bet deer would bet in and I'll go hunt this, you know, with this wind, assuming that they would come here and maybe I don't see anything, but you know, that, that sit would have had a very high probability just based on other spots. And and then you're going in with a kill mentality and you're verifying what's there and what's not there instead of like, I think a lot of people go in scout around and maybe there'll be like a 160 inch buck there that's living there that you blow out and, and if you blow him out a couple times he's never come back he's gone right and so you spent your your opportunity to kill that deer without a bow in your hands which is always kind of not what you want to do so like i don't know that we've 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 covered this on the podcast before with with anybody um but just talking about the way that you're hunting and the way that you're concentrating on, on bedding, you know, obviously you, you talk with Dan and fault and everything is on buck bedding and, and whatever. Um, you know, it's always evening hunts. You always assume that they're in their bed and they're going to come out the last, you know, closing time, you know, five minutes later, whatever. So you're focusing on deer in general. And so you're just using deer patterns and deer movements. Uh, you've established that, you don't necessarily know where they're feeding. However, I think this may, I mean, it maybe will go more to your big woods experience than everyday hunting because, you know, as you've alluded to and, you know, I mean, it kind of stands to reason, A, we don't know, you don't necessarily know where they're eating, but if you only have a 30-yard walk, you can probably see the tree. And if there's no deer between the tree and the <laughs> and where you parked your truck, um, exactly. you can say you're not necessarily going to blow them out. But as far as hunting bedding in the morning, you know, so how early are you getting in there? And then, I mean, obviously you're just kind of, uh, I would imagine having the wind blow into the bedding area and you're just going to catch them before they get there. Or how are you hunting bedding areas in the morning? Yeah, so deer deer will always well 
I never used the word always. Um, first off, a lot of the guys, you know, Dan and, and you know, the, the the dudes that do all the, the big buck, big woods, bed hunting, uh, they're hunting specific buck beds. I hunt a lot of doe bedding because I'm trying to kill as many does as possible because, you know, my mission is to reduce the deer herd. Now, when I get a 150, 160 on camera, I'm trying to kill that deer too. They're a lot of fun to shoot those also. Uh, but but my like main core mission is to reduce the, the deer herd. So um, doe bedding, those will always tend to bed tight to a food source um, unless they don't have a food source. So I, I kind of break up my hunting in the suburbs into the seasons. So if you look at September through mid-October, that's really the acorn crushing time. And so it's very easy to find what acorns are dropping and where they're dropping and then to, to locate bedding in relation to that food source and then set up accordingly. So when deer are entering their bed, they like to approach it from the trying to kind of draw this up they'll, they'll button hook into the bed from the side that the wind will be blowing directly into so they're coming for, at it directly downwind and the reason that they'll do that is because they're able to watch their backwind trail and make sure that if a predator cuts it or crosses it when the predator comes up to you know try and kill them they can see all this that's going on and then they have the wind blowing over their back while they're looking downhill. <laughs> so knowing that, you're able to continue and set up just on the offwind side of that to where they'll never smell you, but then when they're walking up, you start filling tags. Um, so that would be for a morning hunt, you know, setting up with that kind of scenario uh, by betting. And, you know, what I'll do is if, let's say it's a spot I've never been to I'll set up to where I'm closer to that, to that button hook area, because if I'm wrong about where they button hook, I've been, I've erred on the side of caution to where now the next morning I can chip in just a little tighter. And I, I know that I'm going to shoot something. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> God, it's never good to be coughing in this day and age. <laughs> <laughs> It's just a dry throat, guys. Don't worry. I'm good. I was just doing um, the same thing. I moved my mic. <laughs> so I was like, shit. Um, and then in the evening, you know, you can you know where they're betting kind of based on the wind. So I'm I'm always very focused on the wind, but not from the perspective of worrying about my scent. You know, my scent is covered as a byproduct of focusing on the wind and figuring out where the deer are and how they're using the area that I'm hunting because of the wind direction. So like there's some places where the deer aren't going to be on a certain wind because it's not advantageous for them to be there. Um, and that's really their only defense mechanism that they have in the burbs that they can kind of smell something from off in the distance. And that's true in the, in the big woods areas also. So that's where I found that it's very easy to kind of you know, transfer from one to the other. But um, as far as 
as morning bed hunting, you know, being there for that J hook up into there after they're done feeding is, is a very efficient way to kill deer. So you're kind of um, getting downwind of the bedding. Yeah. Looking for that. Yeah. I'm, that I'm downwind path. of the, exactly. I'm downwind. I'm just off that path to where the deer are coming in from the direction where they're not smelling me. Right. You know, they're, they're basically button hooking above me. Uh, to where I can kill them while they're approaching that bed. Now, Greg Litzinger would tell you that that's totally wrong. He, he, he's, he thinks or has found that the deer, uh, don't button hook all the time. Sometimes they just approach the bed, uh, and he shoots a ton of deer in their bed. I've never gotten to the point where I can shoot them exactly in the bedding area. I like to hunt them on just outside of it. Um, so also, you know, and Greg is a very successful hunter and an awesome dude and, and really knows his stuff. I mean, I, I studied everything that guy would, would talk about, uh, for years. Um, but I always found that the button hooking scenario was way better. And the, the difference there is that he is hunting bucks specifically and I'm killing deer. And so, you know, I can't tell you that a five and a half year old or four and a half year old buck is always going to button hook also, but I'll tell you that deer approaching their bed more often than not will button hook. And that for me has been a phenomenal way to, to kill them. Yeah. That was, it was like, it was the point I was going to kind of touch on. You just explained it a little bit, but for our listeners, for the most part, you're, you're trying to take the deer population down and that's by killing the does. So how many buck tags do you get a year? I get three buck tags. Okay. And then, so, I mean, that's why I wanted to point out, like you're out there, you're taking out the does. Um, when you do find a good buck, now are you, I'm going to kind of put this on like the seek one guys, you know, cause <laughs> you know, they have great videos and all, but like those guys are out and they're, you know, videoing these monster bucks. Of course, they're down in Georgia. And it seems like, I mean, they're just focusing on that. I mean, obviously, they're they're killing a bunch of does too. But, I mean, I, in one of their videos, the guy is in the tent, and literally, I think he's like under the deck. I watched that one this morning. I watched <clears throat> that one today. And he's worried about his scent. I mean, he's right underneath the house, like, and he's rolling around in the dirt and shit. I mean, is that, I mean, how does that pertain to like your hunt? I mean, are you that worried about scent when you're that close? No, to I'm not, I'm not rolling around in <laughs> dirt. Taylor's way too pretty. You've seen him. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to God. mess up his cashmere dirt? sweater? No. Ewey. Yeah. No. That first light doesn't do <laughs> dirt. <laughs> no. I got a big squash match after my hunt. Um, yeah. So Lee, Lee and Drew are great dudes. They're, they're good buddies of mine. They kill some giants. Right. Uh, but, I mean, we have different missions. And it, if I had 200 inch deer walking around, I'd probably be focused way more on antler deer. Like, we just don't have, like, great deer here because our, our deer herd's so bad. I mean, the population is so jacked up, uh, and there's just no food and and you know, those deer in Atlanta, they have kudzu 
and and other brows everywhere that is just everywhere and they're really able to eat a lot of nutrients and and you know get a lot of good food throughout the year um i our deer have none of that i mean they're eating leaves they even when a tree is dropping acorns, then you have 30 deer under them and they're like rats in the sewer. Um, and because of that, you know, do we get some, the occasional 150, 160 inch deer? Yeah. Like once in a blue moon, you'll have some show up, but, um, they're few and far between. Now, if you wanted to kill a 120 or a 130, like come on down, we got those out the, out the Wawa. Um, but it's just, it's harder to find those like true urban giants and um, you know, around here, I wish it was different though, but yeah, I mean, and and so kind of early on as I really got into doing the urban hunting, um, like my mission was really to kill the does and, and to kill as many as possible and try and fix the, the skewed deer numbers uh, that we have. And even more so, I mean, that was why I started <clears throat> putting out content and trying to, to help people because I felt that if I could shave the learning curve off anybody's kind of growth into hunting and, and help them in a way that I didn't have the help, uh, then that was a good thing because we need way more people in the woods shooting deer in a ethical and responsible manner. And it's working. I mean, it's crazy how many people that are non hunters that grew up not being exposed to hunting. They live in the city. Uh, you know, most of them are, are hipsters by <laughs> like definition of it. Right. And they reach out to me all the time and they're like, can you teach me, how to shoot a bow or how to hunt. I'm like, hell yeah, man. Like, let's go. Because I mean, that's what we need in this DC area. And we need people that are, that are passionate about it and that are ethical and responsible about it. And they're out there trying to thin the deer herd and put meat in their freezer and not just go out there and buck hunt. Cause like if we had 10,000 guys in the suburbs, just sitting in trees, buck hunting, that doesn't do any good for the population. Right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, and, and I know that Drew and Lee kill a lot of does. I don't think they, um, you know, film all that stuff, but, uh, and that, and that's the thing that's kind of a bummer is like, dude, I'll put a video on YouTube that has me shooting four does on it and it'll get like, you know, 10 or 15, 20,000 views. You put a video on there of me whacking a, a buck in somebody's backyard and it gets like 200,000 views. It's just, you know, people care about antler deer, not whacking, whacking deer. Right. They did have a, a pretty funny one when they had the uh, the doe competition and whoever lost got shot with the uh the recurve. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and they just they just had their other deer uh doe killing competition and um yeah, I think they shot like five or six deer in a morning and um were able to take them all and, and donate them. So <clears throat> they're I mean, it, it's just I think they have a different situation but it's funny i was talking to lee actually on the phone earlier uh they're coming up here to do some some deer killing at the end of the week and um he was telling me the spot that he was hunting earlier he was like i would put that place up with 
with any place in America as far as how overpopulated it is. And we were joking, but I was like, dude, I totally agree. I think that spot that you were hunting looked like it was just overrun with deer, like to a disgusting level. You guys and your deer, like we got <laughs> got <laughs> listeners that are like, I haven't seen a deer in four years, guys. How do we find them? <laughs> like, dude, we'll, we'll send them down DC. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll start start selling hunts. I mean, but I get that because there are spots in in Virginia, down in like South Central Virginia, where you can hunt all year, you won't see a deer. I was up in the oh, where was it? Northern Minnesota. Like frozen tundra, like no deer. Beautiful land, beautiful country, cool experience. But I think the deer population there was like six, and one <laughs> of the guys in our cabin shot one. So now then it was five. <laughs> there's there's, like, there's no chance that we're going to see anything, you know. Well, and that's see the back of our eyelids in the bottom of a bourbon <laughs> bottle. <laughs> well, and that's one of the things I was going to ask you because, like, so for you know, tethered and first light and you know, all the things that you're doing, you know, during this whole pandemic thing, like, and especially from like the outset, like everybody's all, oh, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to do anything. And then here's fucking Taylor. Like, I've never been to an airport with nobody in it. And like, he's just going, (laughs) going, going, going. And so you went on a, a bunch of different hunts this year. How does that change your expectation where like, you know, you're going to see uh, you know, the presidential helicopter, a Ferrari, and, you know, probably two people, old people doing it through their window while you're <laughs> sitting up there, you know, and, and you're going to see deer. And now you go fly across the country, risk your life, almost die from COVID, not COVID. Um, and then you go into a place where there's no deer. Like, what is your expectation on an out of state hunt versus a, you know, Wednesday afternoon? Yeah, well, I think that my biggest takeaway from this year and all the travel was that I need to stop anticipating the place I'm going to is flat because <laughs> I, I just kept – it was funny, uh, you know, the couple of guys that I, that I went with that were filming, uh, by like the third place I went to, and I was like, Jesus Christ, look at those mountains. He was like, you realize everywhere we're going to has mountains, right? <laughs> I was like, no. You know, I think those fucking places are flat, man. <laughs> but uh, they're not. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's 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 an honor and it's a, it's a privilege and it's a blast to be able to travel and hunt. But it's just kind of funny because anywhere I go, I miss – being home hunting the burbs and uh, i love you know being there and, and hanging out with with people in camp and and having the experience but for me you know i've gone from what i thought was this terrible situation and oh my god i have to move back to the suburbs i'm not going to be able to hunt anymore to then realizing like hey there's actually really good hunting around here and I can have these really cool experiences just a mere matter of minutes from my house. Um, and to be able to shoot deer and then come home and like hug your kids and hang out and, and be a dad for the rest of the day, as opposed to just being in camp for five days or seven days or whatever, um, is a little, little different. And it's, it's fun to have that experience. But as far as my, 
like my expectations, I think they change everywhere I go to. And like at, at the core of it, I just want to always be learning more about deer and deer hunting or how people hunt in a certain area. Um, you know, this year I was able to go. So this year we went to Kentucky early season. Uh, then I was supposed to go to Wisconsin, uh, but I ended up getting absolutely crushed with two weeks of a fever that was like 102 to 105. Uh, which my doctor was 100% sure it was COVID, even though all four of my COVID tests came back negative. And then finally it turned out that I had Rocky Mountain spotted fever, which if anybody has had that, it is miserable for anything unless you're trying to lose weight. Because (laughs) for two weeks I laid in bed like a little bitch, just whining, not doing anything, not helping, and from head to toe, it felt like I had been beaten with a baseball bat. It was brutal. Um, and, you know, the entire time you just lay in bed and then you get tired of laying in bed. So you go to the couch and lay on the couch. And my wife just thought I was giving everybody in the family COVID. And, um, yeah, so missed that hunt. And that, uh, was from a, that was from ticks, right? That was from a tick, yeah. And it was from a tick that, that we got in Kentucky. Uh, that was so small you couldn't even see it, but uh, we were hunting velvet deer in Kentucky on soybean fields, and you know you walk through waist high soybeans, and probably probably had a thousand of those things on me, and didn't even know it because you just you can't see them, and I think most of them wash off in the shower, but clearly I didn't get them the one or two or however many that were on there that that really jacked me up. Um, but yeah, so Kentucky is a cool experience. It was fun to to hunt ag, which is something that I didn't have a ton of experience doing. And uh, then going from there to Ohio and um, let's see, Ohio, Minnesota, Texas, and back to Ohio. Um, I feel like I'm missing one. That's pretty cool regardless. So, um, did you hunt Missouri? Yeah, oh yeah. Actually yeah. looking at my, um, my deer from last year in Missouri too, sitting here on my, on my desk, um, which I finally got back is very hard to get a deer head back with a airplane involved unless you're <laughs> on your own plane, which I'm never. So yeah, that was, uh, but I thought you were one of those tethered guys. I've seen the tethered plane, right? I mean, you guys are just yeah. like printing <laughs> yeah. money over there. Oh yeah, <laughs> I wish, but no, it's, um, I, I think that like where people get in trouble going on those hunts is to have unrealistic expectations, like, you know, flatland and <laughs> short walks, but no, I, I think if you just kind of keep your, your mind open to the experience, um, you know, that's when, when it's the best and, and just like have a good time and try to learn stuff. And, and, you know, sometimes you'll be in camp and somebody's like, Oh, I'm not shooting anything less than a 160. And it's like, all right, dude, well, good luck, man. Like, do you have any of those on camera? Oh no. Okay. Well, <laughs> hope one shows up. <laughs> hope you're not pissed going home empty handed. Cause, uh, you know, it's hard to make something materialize. It's not there. Right. Yeah. I, what I meant by that though, is like for you personally, because, the excitement of your everyday hunt 
is going to be eventful. And so, like, I mean, I know John and I both have hunted Ohio where you don't fucking see anything, you know, for a couple of days. And then, then you'll have, like, the best day of your life ever hunting, you know, as far as seeing deer or whatever. But, like, for you, like I said, every day is, you know. Killed five today. Yeah, you know. (laughs) So so, so, so just as far as, like, seeing deer and, like, that, I mean, I would think, like, for us, like, going out of state, you know, with these expectations, that's why we go out of state to try to kill something we can't kill in, in, in Michigan, not necessarily to, you know, I guess we're not at the level where it's like, oh, we're tagged out, so we're going around to all these other states trying to, you know. You know, just to keep hunting, like you're hunting, it never stops. So yeah, and I and I can never be tagged out. I mean, I right. guess I could theoretically tag out on bucks, but I'm, you know, I'm pretty, pretty picky about the bucks that I'm shooting. So I mean, um, yeah, it, it's hard to leave the birds just because the it's so exciting. And there are times it's kind of funny because I was talking about this with with Lee earlier. Also, I was going like, you know there's so many times during the season where I'm like, God, I'm so tired of this shit. You know, whether it be, you know, the neighbor yelling at me or somebody screaming, they're going to call the cops or whatever. Or a cop or coming uh, showing up. Yeah. Yeah. Having, <laughs> having a cop come out uh, with his gun pulled on you, you know, like stuff like that is, is obviously a strong deterrent to hunting in the burbs. And, um, you know, it, it gets really old while you're in it, but then you've really hit the nail on the head. Like when I go out and hunt, you know, my place in Ohio, it's like, man, this is boring. You know, like, like, oh, of course there were 20 does on the food plot tonight. Like it's a food plot in the middle of the woods. Like, what you, <laughs> That's why it's here, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, it, it gets kind of boring and, and I kind of miss my, like, my little setup here where like, you know, I come home, everything goes back to its place. You know, my truck is set up perfectly. It's just like, I, I hunt so much. It's just, it's a routine and it's just boom, 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 boom. And everything is kind of everywhere that it needs to be. And it's very easy. Uh, when I go on some of these out of state hunts where, especially when I'm flying and I can only pack a limited number of stuff or, you know, it's very hard to pack climbing sticks, for example. Uh, so, like, if I'm using spurs or uh, bolts or, or you know, if those aren't legal methods of climbing, then I have something else or I just, like, shift sticks to a place, which outfitters apparently hate. I didn't find that out until, like, recently. Um, <laughs> apparently that's obnoxious to do, but I'm like, dude, you're welcome. That's preparedness. Like, that's why... I, why I mail them. You can keep them. Well, why um, don't you just have, like, that's what I was going to say is like, you know, you said everything is like in such a way and from your routine. It's like, well, I mean, judging from like some of your videos and the, the content that you put out, it's like, it seems like first light sends you a box of all of your hunting clothes <laughs> for every day. So you just go over, you take out your knife and you open it up and then you put those on and then you put those in the closet. And then the next day a box comes and you open that one and that's for the next day's hunt. So, I mean, you just change your shipping address, right? <laughs> well, when you soil your clothing as often as I do, <laughs> it's hard to, to wash it and get it all out. Um, I'm sure someday we'll find out that I was actually allergic to something. 
Oh, really? Gluten intolerance, you don't say. <laughs> but no, um, yeah, I, it, it, the clothing is the easy part, and the saddle, it's, it's scary how easy it is to pack a, pack a saddle. And uh, We have these new 8-millimeter ropes, which are freaking killer. It's like unbelievable how much space they save. But the, the climbing stick is very hard to pack regardless. And it's also hard to... Uh, I've tried to like put um, pool noodle foam all over it, but then it just takes up more space, but it's not sharp, but it's just very difficult. I also found out that a predator platform will get confiscated if you try to take it in your carry-on. So um, <laughs> anybody else out there, don't try that. TSA has got a, a predator somewhere. You're welcome. The guy was probably a hunter. He's I was right. just like, oh, sweet. He's like, like, I know oh, this yeah. guy. I've heard of these. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, sir. You can't have that. You know, you, you give me that. <laughs> and all the camo in your pack too. <laughs> so with that, with your gear and stuff, I mean, you've hunted on the saddle for 13 years. You're with First Light. My biggest thing, of, like since we switched to saddle hunting, is like my cold weather clothing. Like just, you know, like my, my freaking coat or parka is like always riding up and I'm trying to pull it through my bridge. What, how do you, I mean, what do you use and what's, what's your best, uh, setup for that? Well, your problem is you're too skinny. See, I'm <laughs> fat. So by having all my fat rolls all wadded up around the saddle, my clothing gets caught and it, it can't ride up on me. So <laughs> it's pretty perfect that way. I'm just like a Michelin man saying the trick. Um, you know, I, I've found that, uh, I mean, base layers are so important and, um, I get a lot of people that, that hit me up on Instagram or whatever. And they're like, if you could, you know, I'm, I'm looking to buy my first pieces of first light. What should I get? Base layers, man, because the base layers are, are what you wear all the time. And a lot of people skip those because they're not sexy or they're, I mean, they could be sexy if you worm correctly, I guess, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're I not only like wear the, the cool... top and the, the arrow, yeah. the three quarter arrow uh, <laughs> box. I have the only assless chaps made by first light. <laughs> My wife loves them. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, few people know that's how the zip off on base layers were actually started. No, um, zip the ass out of them first, and the, the, yeah, it was too awkward. The ass so. out of them with with acid air. No, the um, you know. The, the base layer is the first thing that's going to work in the system. And so whether it be a first light base layer or a Sika one or one of the minus 33 or any company out there that makes a wool base layer, you know, having wool on your skin is, is essential to heat. Uh, but then layering correctly on top of that to where you're not sweating when you're getting in the tree. And so quite often that will require you to, you know, bring it, bring a jacket with you, bring your bibs with you. That's where the first light system works so well is being able to kind of zip down those, those leg pants or the, the bibs, the leg zippers and the bibs uh, to dump heat on your way in, keep the jacket on your pack, climb up, get set. Every time I'll sit in the tree for like 30, 45 minutes before I've cooled off enough to put my jacket on. Um, and, John's and, usually shirtless for that 45 yeah, minutes. 
Yeah, John's I'm, panting. Yeah, I'm a with his, sp- with his picture of the Hulk out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our listeners don't need that part of it, but <laughs> <laughs> I could almost smell the cocoa butter. <laughs> but no, it, yeah, it, it's uh, preventing preventing the sweat from from even starting is really crucial. And you know, it's funny because you go it, first off, it's cool to see. All, how much saddle hunting has taken off before from when I started uh, hunting from a saddle to now, but people are always asking whether it's with saddles or with tree stand hunting. Well, how fast can you climb and set up? And like people ask me all the time, I'm like, I have no clue. Like, cause I'm not racing myself. Or the faster and, you go, the more you sweat. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big fat guy. The last thing I want to do is sweat. Like I'm slow to everything. I'm, I get heavy breathing just thinking about just walking that thirty yards to the stand. Yeah, just lifting my truck tailgate is so tiring. <laughs> no, but it's like you know, to it's it's not a race. And oh, by the way, like by the time you get to the top of the tree and clip in, that's the last thing you get to do for like most of the morning. So just enjoy climbing up the tree and and moving before you sit still and play on Instagram for five hours <laughs> and then have deer blow at you from behind because you didn't see him. But, um, you know, I, I think that, that wearing the right layering system, no matter who makes it, um, or maybe it's a combination of stuff, but having a good layering system and not getting sweated up on your way in is, is crucial to, to staying warm. That's tough when you, like, if you go on a hunt with Adam and he's the one, like, leading in. <laughs> He likes to do like all these roundabouts and like ZZ top. I, I J hook into the stand. <laughs> yeah. you, you're a smart man. You're going to watch your bedding area. Watch your back. Oh, make I just sure want to make the sure there's nothing coming from that way. Yeah. He just, he, yeah, he and, does it to know, confuse the deer. If you walk through it all and blow it out, then no deer will come from that direction. So <laughs> right. you're fine. Yeah. It confuses the hell out of the deer too. It's <laughs> yeah. like, what? What, Holy what is shit. this asshole doing? He's been everywhere. <laughs> right. We'll go over this way. <laughs> so, uh, funny story, uh, it's, it goes back to the gear. Cause I want to ask you about, you know, I want to ask you about some of the first light stuff, um, specifically, but I was thinking about this before we started the podcast and I missed it on the intro. So, so Taylor, I have no idea how this happens, but so Taylor, you're using the, it's the FHF, uh, mm-hmm. bino harness, right? Yep. Yeah, so I'm at my house one day, bzz, my phone buzzes, I get an email from FHS, or FHF, saying, uh, hey, Taylor, all your stuff is shipped, and it's like this big like laundry list of <laughs> uh, gear that's shipped, and it's like, shipped to Taylor Chamberlain, and I'm like, what the fuck, you know? <laughs> and so, like, I text Taylor, and he's like, I've been waiting for that email. Like, I have no idea how they got your email address, but it makes a lot more sense if um, if we would remind the listener that. So, I'm using uh, some honeybee sticks that I got from Taylor, and Taylor, can you um, just kind of go back and how you ship those sticks to me? I have no clue. I I think they didn't they get shipped to my house. Yes, yes, you. Yeah, so th- <laughs> I think I shipped them to myself, <laughs> which the post office. Uh, yeah, it's the goddamn autofill on on email because this is unfortunately 
not the first time this has happened to me. <laughs> because I tried to ship Ernie some arrows and ship them to myself also. Um, but it's great because my post office, they try to be nice to me. So they wait like three days before they bring them back to my porch. which Because I think they think I'm screwing with them. They're like, is this guy like retarded? Like, what's his deal? <laughs> He just paid $12 to ship these to himself. Uh, that was good. I remember watching the tracking, and I'm like, why the fuck haven't those left the, the distribution facility? Like, what, Did they lose his sticks? Are you kidding me? And then it says, out for delivery. I was like, oh, that's good. I pull up at my house. I'm like, oh, there's a box here. Well, and he's like, I made the. I, I couldn't find a box to ship them in. I made it myself. And then when they show up at my house, he got the address right, but he shipped them to Adam Cruz. And I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck, man? Yeah, yeah. Uh. Again, uh, auto popular. I need to like just go into my Chrome and just delete everything and just like start over. Uh, but yeah, the I have no idea. So with that FHF thing, like I was texting uh, the owner when that order like materialized. I, I put nothing into a computer, so that's what makes it even odder because I. I had no part in that screw up. And the fact, the fact that you of all people got the email is like bizarre to me where I'm like, what? What are the odds of that? Yeah. Well, they're much lower when I'm taken out of the equation. So like, I, I know that it wasn't me, but I remember the, the stick thing was funny because I remember coming home and I was like, Oh, there's a box on my step. We don't know. And I'm like, God, that's a funny looking box. It looks like somebody tried to tape it all together. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> that's my box. <laughs> so you, did you open it? <laughs> no, but I was like, did Adam send these back? <laughs> oh. like, Yo man, where are my sticks? <laughs> but no, I wanted uh, to know about that. Bino harvest. Cause that's one of the things from saddle hunting. Like, like I just have like abandoned the ba- the vinyl harness and I've just put it in my pack just yeah. because it seems to be in the way. And so, I mean, you, I don't think they're paying you to wear it. So, I mean, no, it's, some, it's something that you, you wear. I got um, my email. So yeah. Come on, Ranella. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. So yes, the, the vinyl harness is uh, very difficult to pick when when you're saddle hunting because depending on your tether height or your bridge height or whatever you're running, um, it's very possible to kind of get it in the way. I think a lot of people like to run their bino harness like down on their belly. Um, my belly sticks out far enough that sticking anything else on the front side of it's a bad idea so i like to run my my bio harness more on my breastbone than i do on my belly um but even then there's some some of the bigger or kind of like deeper backpack style bio harnesses are just a disaster to have there i remember i was trying one brands and like i could not see my feet at all and I have giant feet. I wear a size 12 shoe. Like they're not small flippers. And I remember like climbing down the tree going like, this is the most dangerous thing I think I've ever done. <laughs> like I have no clue where my feet are. Cause I have this giant goddamn pillow on the front of my chest here. That's like 
blocking my vision. And, you know, because it was so high on my breastbone, it was literally like just, I couldn't see anything. So the FHF gear harness is one that I absolutely love um, because of the fact that it holds the binos nice and tight to your chest and it's silent when you're taking the, the uh, binos in and out of it. So um, I really like that. I really like where their uh, range finder pocket goes and I love how it attaches. So for those of you that haven't used the, FHF gear um, harness, there's a loop that kind of just goes over the strap like you would imagine, but then there's another loop that runs horizontal that goes through the buckle, so the pouch actually can't slide around. Um, and so I know that if I'm watching a deer and I need to reach in and grab my rangefinder, it is always exactly where it's been for the last 2000 sits um and i i can range a deer drop it back no problem um so yeah the the fhf gear harness is really 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 essential for saddle hunting i think and, and also the location of where you're running it is really important as well now is that one of the ones that opens forward or does it still open up it opens up their flap is pretty short so it, it doesn't get in the way but um you know, the other harness that I really like is the marsupial harness. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the name of that company. And I like that because it opens down and it stays there with the magnet. And um, the magnet holds it down and you can just pull your binos up and out of it. And I find that to be really helpful, like late season especially, to not be making much noise or having a bunch of kind of movement in the tree. Yeah, the FHF gear, sorry, the FHF gear one um, has been my my go-to for years, and absolutely love it. And so I kind of think what John was talking about with the with the first light stuff is isn't there isn't it the sanctuary that has the the zip pockets, or is it the solitude that kind of have the upper like on your breastbone type pockets that go into the bibs in that system? So the sanctuary has the kangaroo pocket, um, and oh, excuse me, it's a solitude. Um, <laughs> sorry, she sells sanctuary. Sanctuary was on when I was putting my daughter to bed earlier. I got sanctuary <laughs> stuck in my head. Sanctuary. Um, yeah. So the solitude bibs and jacket have the kangaroo pocket that, that comes over on your uh, breastbone and. I feel like those are ideal for saddle hunting um, because I really like where that pocket sits and the fact that I can like just put my hands up in there. Uh, I'll, I'll often kind of put my cell phone in the zipper pocket that's up in there and keep it nice and warm so the battery doesn't die. And so I'm not staring at it, playing with it. Um, and yeah, I mean that, that pouch, kind of system really 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 works well um and, and it keeps it so warm because it's so much closer to your core body heat as well and so on the is it the i was just looking at it today um the is it the catalyst vest that has the two pockets are is that similar pockets where you can put those in or are they oriented back the other way uh, I'd have to look. So it's difficult. Come on, you're for the me. first light guy. You got so you <laughs> have on. more first light than anybody on so, the planet. 
yeah, but I'm two years down the road. So I, I'm very fortunate that I get to test a lot of the, the newer stuff um, and provide a lot of feedback. So there's a lot of stuff that I've like tinkered with that might not have made the cut or maybe it did. Uh, but I actually don't think I have any production pieces here. Um, I know that, that sounds really bad, but it's yeah, not Mr. intended. Big shot. I don't measure deer under 170. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't even have the catalyst vest. Uh, so I, I can't answer that question. I don't know. All right. Well, you've got my address. Just look up Adam <laughs> Cruz on your phone. Call them yeah, at First Light. Yeah. <laughs> I think your address looks really similar to mine. <laughs> <laughs> but that was one of the things because, I mean, it, it, obviously that's one of the hardest things is like it's like the fucking like uh, the – oh, what the fuck is the movie with Will Ferrell? Like what do I do with my hands? Like that's the <laughs> whole saddle hunting thing. Like. Well, so what, what I really like to do, for people that are interested in the first light gear, um, I would pay attention uh, as new items come down the line because there's a lot of really cool stuff coming out um, soon. Well, I mean, and, there is no ATA show. I mean, what do you got for us, Mr. Insider? I, I, I know nothing. <laughs> I mean, I, hey, man, I'm from D.C. There are a lot of tight lips around here um for but for the the thing that i found to be most helpful for for your hands are i like to take a hand warmer like a hand muff and i i I like to run it as tight as possible like literally double it triple it over on itself to where the loop is only you know eight inches ten inches and then once i'm in the tree i'll clip that over my bridge and then I'll flip it up on top of the bridge. And so what I'll do is I'll put my arms in there to where they're riding basically right on the bridge itself. Um, and they're just held there. And then when a deer comes in, you can pull your hands out and they can, you can either flip it around if you want or just keep it there. Uh, but that's been the most helpful thing that I've found uh, as far as like a, keeping your hands warm kind of thing. Okay. Does that make sense? As, as yeah. to like how, yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's what I, you know, I was hoping on here, we'd have the, you know, new first light gear, new tethered gear, the, the new tethered saddle, all of those things, right. That you're working on. Um, well, I just don't know how, I don't know how the first leg gear could get any better than it currently is now since the new pattern's out because that pattern is killer. Um, literally, I've killed tons of deer in that thing. It, it's amazing uh, the depth that that pattern has. I think a lot of people, when they see it in person, will be really blown away with it. And I don't know how you could get the Phantom any better. I mean, we joke about it with Tethered, but the, you know, the Phantom saddle is about as comfortable as as you can get, so no need for new stuff. It's all it's all it's all I need. Well, I, it's already there. I'm gonna break your heart right now, and you've you've already broken mine um, because I was waiting for the new tethered saddle to come out, and I was so confident that there was going to be another one. I traded my Phantom for this new saddle that just came out, and I'm super excited about getting it. And this is no bullshit. I traded my Phantom 
for a hawk saddle kit. <laughs> <laughs> and it was dude. I, um, it, one of the reasons is is the guy was online and he was all bummed out that he had a hawk saddle kit, and it was you know a lot of the things were failing and. Um, not necessarily on his, but some of the stuff online. And we did the video on the, that Hawk platform. And then like, then like literally like the next day, some guys like I used this five times and it, it broke. Um, and, but I was like, I want to try one, but I do not want to spend the money to purchase one. And then uh, honestly, I didn't want the guy to sell it to somebody else to think that this is like really what saddle hunting is. Um, so I made him a deal on it, but I, I do have a Hawk saddle inbound just to like check out. Have you messed with one at all? I have not. Yeah. I, I appreciate you taking one for the team for all of the saddle hunter community out there. Um, to, to keep one off the streets. <laughs> right. But that, but I mean, that's the thing. So like we just talked with uh, Sean at trophy line and uh, I talked to Alex from latitudes all the time and nobody's looking at these things. And I, I think, you know, there is such a, uh, a fanboy mentality out there. It's like, everybody wants to just say like, Oh, it's ours. Ours is the best. And this and that. And I'm, I'm not saying that against you or anybody else. I, I mean, I truly think that, all of the people that are like really in the industry of putting out saddles have the best interest of the end line consumer in mind. But I don't think that Hawk does. And I think that, you know, somebody has to like look at one and like compare it to all of the others in a like unbiased way to say like, this is why you should not, do this right yeah it's kind of scary i mean so saddle hunting has come a long way in in god just the last couple years but uh even in 10 years or so but i think a lot of people have gotten too comfortable uh way too comfortable uh suspended 25 plus feet off the ground with stuff that they really maybe haven't checked out at ground level or kind of done a simple litmus test with. And, um, you know, the, the stuff that I've seen online about the Hawk saddle is, is kind of scary, but, um, you know, I haven't really gotten my hands on one and and played with one, but I'd like to think that, you know, everybody out there that's putting a saddle out would, um, you know, care about the person that's using it and you know put the the time and effort into making it correctly and and making sure that like god the manufacturing process had some checks and balances to it but uh i mean for sure the stuff that i mean your guys uh review on the platform was scary and to look at the stuff that's getting posted online is really scary i saw a guy uh, that his tree tether did not have the guts of the rope in it. It was just the sheath of the rope. And thank God, at least he, he was like, hey, this seems off and didn't clip into it. But, I mean, if you clip into that, you're toast. Well, it's like if you're looking at, like, 
what they're I mean and I I've seen them I believe on Amazon as well not manufactured by Hawk but I'm assuming it's coming out of the same production facility like their quote unquote rope man or ascender or whatever looks like just a pop metal piece of shit like like a well not even I, I mean know. not even that like when we started we didn't do this in the review but like when we were sitting there yeah, like, this was after we had already finished our filming. I was looking at, I was flipping that st- that platform over, and I'm like, "Well, fuck!" There's a, it's missing a whole weld, which is, I mean, completely unacceptable. I mean, a weld is missing on this thing, and so it only had the top part of one of the cross members welded instead of the the bottom as well. It should be welded all four sides, but they're just doing top and bottom, and completely missed it. It's like, how does this? freaking pass <laughs> yeah that's scary man i mean that, that's really scary I, I hope that um i really hope that gets shut down before somebody gets hurt because unfortunately the way that things are are going it, it's inevitable that somebody's going to get hurt by it before they kind of look into it but well you shouldn't be able to just make a budget saddle with the highest margins possible and just throw caution to the wind. I mean, that doesn't work. Right. And, and I mean, you know, God forbid somebody says they, they look at the tethered setup and they look at the price or they look at the trophy line setup and, and look at the price for the, you know, everything for ropes, platform, like whatever. And they say, well, for shit, for, you know, half the price I can get the Hawk and they have the entire setup. So the platform fails and then the rope doesn't have a core <laughs> and they just, you know, yeah. all safety is, is out the window at that point. So, yeah. Well, and, that, and I mean, that's terrifying. And, and I mean, I'm sure that other companies are the same way, but like a tether, like we don't care if you hunt for a tethered saddle or somebody else's saddle, like our entire goal is to promote and grow saddle hunting as a whole. And, I mean, that came from us all being, like, the weird nerds in the back chat room of saddlehunter.com, you know, being, like, the .001% of guys that weren't hunting from a tree stand. And, like, to us, it's just super cool that, that saddle hunting has become mainstream. And, you know, if we can just put the word out there about how cool and and – how effective and efficient and safe it is to hunt from a saddle, like then we're happy. And, um, and you know, our goal is to make the highest and best stuff possible. And I mean, that's how, uh, we came out with the mantis originally and then with the phantom and, uh, kind of continued to push the envelope and, and just ask, well, what if, what would make this cooler? What would make this better? How could we, improve on all of this and then uh do it but like never once was it how can we Im- increase our profit margin and how cheap can we know, get this thing made yeah how who you know how can we get a, a higher return per item and screw safety you know um not to mention completely copy i mean yeah well uh, but, <laughs> yeah Hold it looks pretty similar <laughs> yeah. yeah that i mean yeah. That's that's unfortunate, you know, because I was texting you, like, when we got one, and we're like, it's, like, did you guys, 
like strike a deal and license this thing? It's like, nope, not at all. And you probably can't say like, fuck those guys or anything like that for, you know, whatever your lawyers say to do. But like, it's just in complete bad taste, you know? And like one of the, the arguments that, you know, like I said, there's so much fanboy or brand hate type stuff out there. Like, people will say, well, you know, tethered stuff is made in China too. And it's like, well, it isn't because they want to make more money or they want to make something cheaply. It's like, I believe that they want to make sure that they have stuff for you because the demand is so high and making things in the U.S. is both expensive and difficult to put on any sort of timeline. And so it's like, I don't know. It, it, it's such... Uh, a strange place like for us because I feel like we're friends with everybody like in that that make saddles or like it's not just like oh well everybody's shit sucks except for you know tethered or you know whoever but it's it's there there's very few people out there that are objective like everything is so like if they're gonna hate on it like they're gonna hate on it regardless it doesn't matter like it you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's I, I think I see a lot of that in every industry, though. I mean, whether it be like some guys are like, "Oh, that guy drives a Ford," like he can't come to my house, and you're like, "Yeah, okay, cool, cool Chevy." I mean, like whatever, you know. Um, and I, I think at the end of the day, or, or between people with like Glock versus uh, Sig, or you know, Glock versus 1911, and you know, people get entrenched in a camp. Um, and often it's because they decided to spend their money with, you know, one brand because of one reason and they're loyal to that brand. And, you know, that's great for them. Like I got no problem with, with that. Um, for me, I look for, I mean, when I'm, when I'm spending my money on something, I'm going to look for the best product at the time. And if I'm car shopping, that might be a Ford, that might be a Toyota, that might be a Chevy, it might be a Dodge. I mean, who, it's whatever whoever's making the best most innovative product uh is going to get my money and i own plenty of 1911s and plenty of glocks and plenty of remingtons and you know i mean like yeah stuff gets made overseas and there's product that gets made overseas that is incredibly high quality um there's product that gets made overseas that's crap there's the same that's true in america there's stuff that's really well made and there's stuff that's crap and there's everything in between and here at the end of the day it's just it's all about the company that's that's ordering it and uh and the quality controlling it and what they're going to going to spend on having it made and what they're going to do uh to qc it and basically what they're they're willing to accept and sell and um you know i would wish that the people that are like diving into saddle hunting would take the time to kind of check out uh the saddles themselves and and kind of you know play around with them and that's what's hard to do is because you can't go to a store and be like oh here's the trophy line here's the uh latitude here's the tethered one you know it's just you kind of research on facebook research on forums and you make a buying decision um and, and go with it. But I just think a lot of people, when they spend their money, they want to like feel 
loyal to whatever camp they decided to put their flag into. And it is funny because all of us are friends, you know, like, you know, we will pick up the phone and call the guys at latitude or talk to the guys at trophy line or have them call us. I mean, we're all in this to promote saddle hunting and, and make great products. And, uh, you know, we're big fans of a rising tide raises all ships. And, you know, if we can help other people in the industry out, that's great. There, there's plenty of room to grow and we just want to continue pushing each other to elevate saddle hunting and keep continuing to, to make it the best it can be. Yeah, but fuck Hawk, right? <laughs> Pretty brutal what Hawk did, yeah. So, yeah it, I don't pick up the phone and call them, but I also don't speak Chinese, so hard to. I'm surprised Hawk Hawk released that stuff, though, knowing like the liability potential of it is is strange. I mean, like, oh. like, dude, I saw a guy put a post on uh, Saddle Hunter where his platform snapped. Like yeah. at the bolt, the thing snapped off. I mean, like, can you imagine standing on a platform and going like, okay, some tethered platforms are broken. Some people came over hard and snap or whatever. Like, we're you call us with a snapped platform. Like, I assure you, we are scrambling. And not only are we scrambling to get you a new one right now, but like, we want that one back because we want to look at it and figure out what happened and analyze the crap out of it and and engineer one that won't do that ever. Um, but it's just funny. Like, what do you think Hawk's response was to that? Like, did they get anybody on the phone? Like, no, I can't even imagine being on a platform and having it go pop and falling down. I mean, you think me shitting my pants without <laughs> the platform breaking was bad. That would be, I'd probably scream out in the woods. You'd hear me where you guys live. It'd be the weird screeching owl of platform breakage land. Like it it would be freaking terrifying. And so I'm glad that when we were talking about that and using those analogies and like where you spend your money, because I was like, and you use cars and guns, because I'm like, where the fuck does this guy spend money in the hunting industry? Because he's got a house full of things that just, they just keep showing up. Fire harnesses. Every every day his Instagram, which is, uh, Urban Bowman is, uh, oh, look what came today. Oh, look at this, more packages. Um, but I was thinking about it. I don't think you have, like, a a pack. And so that's one of the things that John has been, like, it's been just, like, a bitch for it's John's it's body. Funny. It's funny you mention that. By the way, Adam sounds like my wife. Like, oh, there's a package here again. Oh, there's another package here. God damn it. Get these packages off the porch. <laughs> you need to talk to the mail guy and say, leave them. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Leave these, leave these at the mail house. Um, <laughs> packs are hard, man. Cause I feel like, I feel like packs. Well, let's rewind. So I buy a lot of packs. <laughs> I have, I have a closet full of packs. I actually gave away, uh, like 18 or 19 packs. I probably shipped them all to myself. They'll probably show up at my house. <laughs> Soon. What is these packs, Taylor? From Taylor? What the fuck? Taylor? Yeah. So look, to me, from me. Oh, hey, look. Say so your Check wife's me, like, what are, you doing? what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Joke's on you, wife. <laughs> I was having uh, delivery uh, <laughs> yeah. withdrawals. Yeah. I just wanted to make you feel left out for all the shoes that you get. No, I, I think packs are like, um, they're really like a personal thing or it's something that 
you know, everybody has such a specific use for how they want to pack and carry certain items. And, and, uh, there aren't a lot of similarities, obviously, I guess, or apparently, because it's really hard to find, uh, one that works. So I, I've been all the way down the mystery ranch, uh, rabbit hole. The pop-up 28 is good. I like the way that you can fold the bag off and, and pack the sticks on it. Um, I didn't like how long it took to like unclip the clips, grab my sticks, grab my platform, put it back on. And I felt like the bag was just kind of like, you know, flopping around there. I just wasn't a big fan of that. Um, the treehouse was a really good pack, but I felt like the inside of the Mystery Ranch treehouse really didn't have a ton of space. For me, like I'm not trying to pack that much stuff. I'm walking 40 yards. All I need <laughs> is to put four sticks on the outside, a platform. I need a camera arm and a base, and then my camera. And then I have like a head, uh, <laughs> I almost said headband, a headlamp. <laughs> Headband, my high heels. That's for your pickle, uh, pickleball match later. Yeah, my pickleball. That's what we call it when I'm up in the tree all alone. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so like just my filming gear. Like I'm for me, like I'm really not trying to carry that much stuff. I don't know why I have like a mountaineering pack. Is what I've had to like get down this hole to. You know, like what is going on here? So um, the mystery ranches they worked okay, but I felt like there was more to be desired. then I went to the Eberly stock, and so I got the X2 and the Bandit. And I was using the X2. I liked the X2, but then again, I felt like there was just way too many pockets and, and clip-ons and stuff. I actually am looking at one right now. Is like I just took all my stuff out of it because I had it with me in Ohio because I thought it was the right pack, and I was like, F this thing after the second hunt with it. Uh, so I've been going back. I've been using the the Bandit pack from Everly Stock this year, and that thing is really close to perfect. It's not all the way there. Um, what I like about that pack is the fact that it's kind of like no BS. I can just put my camera in there and um, my camera gear, and then on the outside, I'm able to like, put a bunch of straps and bags there um, to carry stuff how I want it. So packs are, packs are weird though. You know, if, if you're not filming, I feel like it'd be much, much easier. Just like oh, a whole um, lot easier. I, I like what Zach Farinbaugh is doing with, with his, he just has like the Badlands monster. And then he took, um, you know, the, the predator pack and he's put that up on the high part of the backpack. And, I mean, that would look great. Yeah, but to be fair, he hasn't climbed a tree in a year and a half. So I mean, like, well, not only that, he's yeah. got a cameraman with him too. So right, but you don't yeah, see what the, 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 the that cameraman's got a mountaineering pack with all the fucking right. like, yeah. Well, that's what that's what my cameraman Hunter was carrying with just full of snacks for me this year. He's like, oh, I saw it laid out dish. in like a. Were you like in a? Oh, a shooting shack or at, something with star crunch at, and like this like a laid out buffet. At one point, Hunter brought he when he showed up in camp in Ohio, it looked like he robbed three convenience stores candy aisles. <laughs> I was like, dude, 
are you trying to get diabetes on this trip? <laughs> like, are we, are we going to die? Like, what's, what's going on? You know, I'm a polite person, obviously, from my, my yuppie city. So, like, I'm not going to say no to Butterfinger <laughs> Bites or Snicker Bites or hot pancakes or biscuits and gravy, whatever he's brought to the stand. I'm like, well, yeah, okay. I'll help you eat that. <laughs> Don't bring those it's, tomorrow. I'd like these. <laughs> yeah. Really fun to watch your blood sugar on the Garmin watch just explode <laughs> through the ceiling. I'm like, yep. look, you literally just saw my watch right here. I got diabetes. <laughs> that was the time that it happened. Uh, but yeah, so as far as packs go, it's, it's very difficult. I think to find like a good pack and like, it, it depends. Some people don't wear their saddle in. Um, so, God, thank God, apparently, that I do, because all 40 yards of that, I don't have to worry about anything happening to my saddle. <laughs> but I can't imagine, you know, then having to pull a saddle out of a backpack at the base of the tree. I, I would go nuts. Yeah, see. What packs are you guys running? Well, I run, I have my XO Mountain Gear uh, Western pack, but I take the bag off and I just use the frame. And so then I have a Badlands fanny pack. It's not the one with the, the shoulder. It's not the monster. I can't remember. It's an old one. Oh, it's mm-hmm. like the the pop-up or bucket or something. It's a bucket. It's like a bucket. But So that has like my little essentials, the, my headlamp and grunt calls, that kind of stuff. And then I put my camera in there, all my cameras in there. And then so I strap that onto the bottom of my pack the frame and then i put my predator on top of that and then i put my bag of uh wild edge steps like on top of that and then i don't i don't wear my saddle and i roll that up and put that and then strap that and then i strap on my coat and uh camera arm and so it's a it's a freaking yard sale so when i get out to my tree thank god i watched your video on the freaking bow rope you know wrap around your hand because <laughs> otherwise I'd have to get out there 45 minutes early to untangle the rat's nest. Cause you got three you bow, your bow up. <laughs> yeah. Cause I have, I, I use three ropes, you know, cause I can't carry all the shit up. I don't carry it in my pack. I just get to the bottom of my tree. I lay it all out, hook it all up and then climb up. And there's been, there was a couple hunts this year where I actually like at one point my bow, cause I don't have enough wild edge steps. So then I was carrying a couple sticks also because to get up, I mean, I want to get up, you know, 25 feet and five. Are you using an aider? I, I made an aider out of one of my old freaking uh, lineman ropes, but I was like, you know what? Uh, I don't want to be hanging upside down from this son of a bitch. So, <laughs> so I grab a couple step or sticks and at one point, I had all the bow ropes, like it was in the dark. I'm freaking trying to pull them up and they got caught in the, they got caught in the stick. And then my bow is stuck in the fucking sticks and I'm like, I can't let it down and I can't pull it up. I'm like, cause if I let it down, something's going to fucking break, you know, like, I don't know what's yeah. stuck if it's my sight bracket or my stabilizer. And I'm like, oh my God. So. I probably rattled in a buck doing that, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the old robot metal buck. (laughs) Right. (laughs) The the dumbass spike horn, like, whoa, what's that? But so, no, I've been telling Adam, like, dude, I'm about ready to go buy a freaking sewing machine and start making my own freaking pack. 
I mean, literally, it's that frustrating. Like, I want to be able to fit everything in a certain way. That's like what you're saying is I want it, you know, very specific. Like, I want, I don't, I have my Alaskan guide gear, you know, bino harness. And it stays kind of close to my chest, but it still, like, will get caught up in my bridge a little bit. So I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I, I like wearing it in because if, you know, if I'm walking it, sneaking in and, a, you know, a deer pops up or, you know, I can pull out my binos or my uh, range finders, you know, I have that clipped into the, the harness itself. And so I want to be ready like that. But then when I get out there, I take that off and I, or I climb up the tree with it. But then when I get up there, I take it off and then I hang that on my, my sis strap above my fanny pack. But I'd like to have a pack that I can just climb up, throw the bino in it on the side, and then, I don't know, camera gear. It's it just, <laughs> you know, it's very specific. Well, I think my setup would give you anxiety because, like, so So I started off this, well, I hunted the all last year with the Badland Super Day, and then I bought one of the trophy line packs, which I really liked. I wish it was a little bit more robust. But I I tried it out. I did a video on it, and I was all set to to hunt with it. And then a local guy was like, "Hey, I got this Mystery Ranch Pop Up Twenty Eight. Like, does anybody want to have a trophy line that they want to trade?" And I was like, "Fuck, that's a expensive pack. Like, I'd like to try one out." And like, just like you, I, I don't like to put my my sticks um, perpendicular to my body. Because mm-hmm. they're wider than my shoulders, so like they get caught and shit. And I mean, I did that last year in Missouri, and like it was just a pain in the ass. So I don't like to put them that way. And that pack, unless you add like compression straps or something, you can't really put them vertically. And I just didn't feel like because there's only like the two pouches, and then you can put stuff behind it. It just didn't it didn't have enough places for all my stuff. So I was like, I can't use this. So I still had my super day pack. So I just went back to that. I gave John the mystery ranch pack and he's like, fuck this thing. He's like, I can't use this. It doesn't, doesn't do anything for me. And my pack, I mean, I really like that pack and like the way that it works out. Um, I wish it had like a little bit more like segmentation. Like I really want somewhere for just the camera to go. That's maybe like a little padded or something like that. But like, I go out there and I hunt and then I'm I when I get done, it's like in the dark or whatever. I'm like, fuck this. And I just throw everything in it. Cause it's just got those two big pouches. Mm-hmm. And then the next hunt is like, where did I stuff that or this or that, <laughs> whatever. And then, so I'm in the dark. Look, I mean, like there's been multiple times where I've walked out like in like a beanie type hat, like a half a mile or more with, uh, you know, looking at my phone with, uh, clip on your hat light in my mouth because I'm holding my bow in one hand. I'm holding my phone trying to figure out where I'm going and I don't have my headlamp, but I have my headlamp. It's just in one of the pouches or pockets or in my jacket from yesterday or, or whatever. So like, like when you talk about like everything needs its place, like, yeah, <laughs> it needs yes. its place. It would be nice. I can see why that would be helpful, but it's just not in like my, like it's not in my like game plan. You're correct. That would give me anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have like a 
one of my buddies, Nick, he's, he's always joking with me. He's, he's like, Jesus Christ, like, you have to organize your truck, man. I'm like, dude, I'm OCD. Like, everything goes in a certain place. It's in the, you know, it's in a certain layering system based on how it comes out of, of a tub or whatever. Um, I just got a decked system for my truck, and I'm sure that's going to be, like, perfectly layered lasagna that I'll be going nuts about. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, like, everything – Campbell cameras used to make a backpack that was, uh, or Badlands made one for Campbell. That was like the, I forget what they called it, but I really regret not buying one because it had a special pouch to put a camera in that was padded. And then it was like all divided up where you could put lenses and other stuff. And I feel like that pack would be ideal. Um, I've messed around with buying some of these like drop in, inserts because like i don't really have anything in my pack like i have a headlamp i have my hiss strap i have a grunt tube like some some shears and then a kill kit like really not that much stuff oh and a backup release because i have forgotten my release a couple times <laughs> there's no worse feeling than going to clip that in the tree after you spent 30 minutes being silent and not having anything to clip to your bow and then <laughs> arguing with yourself for 30 minutes if you could shoot fingers or not. (laughs) (laughs) So Badlands still has one called the capture, but I mean, obviously you're not walking as, as far as like, I I would say anyone, 99% (laughs) of the, I was going to say us, but I was going to say 99% of the population. Um, But so I don't think that pack has the hip belt. And I think for, at least for me, for carrying sticks in, yeah. like, I think that that's I mean, the most important feature. Like if, if a pack, a pack could have everything perfect, but if it doesn't have a hip belt, like it, I don't believe it can carry sticks efficiently. So, yeah. And that's the, the problem with the, that, uh, bandit by Everly stock, because that does not have a hip pack or a hip belt. And that's like a problem with it now granted you know i'm only carrying sticks for 40 yards and i mean i i i hunted the crap out of that bag this year and in ohio and other places and it was okay but you know a backpack works best when your weight is on your hips so um yeah not ideal there well i just find it like flapping around like you know when you're maybe i walk faster than you but you, you're <laughs> probably oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, Adam thinks it's a fucking race. Like, I mean, <laughs> but when it, of course, when, the, when you got to do zigzags like you do, I mean, you, yeah, you got to make up some time somewhere. <laughs> yeah, walking like, two miles to cover one. Yeah, <laughs> I, I run like a rabbit. I do a little circle here, and I go over here, and do a circle there, I go over here, do a circle. But, but yeah, I mean, so I mean, that's what a lot of the questions that I get is about about packs and stuff. And I remembered you posting, like if anybody's a new hunter or whatever, that, and you showed like a mountain of packs, like get a yeah. hold of me. So, yeah. I mean, knowing, you know, what you know and, and the amount of time, like I said, that you get to test gear and obviously, you know, not necessarily, you know, having a pack sponsor, um, you know, you can have some, not that your other stuff is unbi- is biased, but you know, easier to digest. Yeah, opinion. no, I'm with you. I, mean, I, 
there's some stuff that I just, I can't give a really, I mean, I will never give anything other than my 100% unbiased review, but if you ask me like, Oh, how did you like this other saddle? Well, I, I haven't tried it, you know, uh, or how'd you like, you know, have you shot the new Hoyt? No, I haven't. Um, you know, like, but at the same time, like I will always give my, my 100% honest, like straightforward review, but there's some things that I just haven't, uh, tried because I haven't needed to, or haven't been able to, but for packs, I've pretty much tried them all. I think the, that badly and super day pack is a great pack. I used that for years. I still have one. That's my like go-to trail camera pack. Um, it seems to have a really good, you know, pocket system, but I agree. It would be really nice if you had a padded pocket or the ability to put your camera in a little more securely, regardless of what camera you're running. Um, the, the bandit pack is really good. I like that one, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's been a mountain, literal mountain of backpacks that, uh, that I gave away that were just never made the cut. Some of them I got and I was like, Oh yeah, this won't work. And just never used it because I knew it wouldn't work. Um, that was unbelievable. I put that post up. I think it was on my Instagram story. I was like, yeah, if anybody's a new hunter, like send me why you need a backpack and I'll send you one. Right. And then I went upstairs and I was doing something with my daughter and, um, like hanging out and I didn't look at my phone for like an hour. And I went back and looked at my phone and I had like thousands of messages already. And I was like, Oh, this is weird. And by the time it was all said and done, I got over 7,500 messages from people that wanted a free backpack. Um, <laughs> unbelievable. And people were like, I'll take that, that like Kafaru one. I'm like, Hey dude, you're, <laughs> you don't get to pick the pack that I'm sending you. Okay. <laughs> I'll, if you give me a good reason. And there were some really funny, uh, funny reasons as to why people needed a pack. Um, and, you know, I hope they were true, but <laughs> actually for some people, I hope they weren't true. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, it's amazing how much people like free stuff, that's for sure. I mean... Me included. You, you did get all those first light boxes, <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. Exactly. <laughs> There's nothing in those. That, that's like, they just put one sticker in like a giant box and they <laughs> send it to me. They just, they just like to mess with me. All right, so before we let you go, I have to ask you, I mean, and I need a definitive, like, by the minute answer. When are the tethered one sticks going to be available for the population? <laughs> Soon, my dears. Uh, I am I am not at liberty to to share that information. Come on, I'm I'm sworn uh, by this legal piece of paper called an NDA. <laughs> so have another sip of bourbon. Yeah. Think about it. Yeah, I'll, it'll be on my Twitter. My Twitter is uh, is unlocked, so I can still I can still tweet. Um, no, they they should be here in the next. Uh, what is it? January? They'll be here. I think in the next month would be my best guess. And is there any sort of like? Uh, I don't order i'm gonna say like hierarchy but that isn't like 
makes sense, I guess. Well, I'm going to order the first 5,000 5,000 sets, and then I'm going to sell them all the black market. Well, I thought you were just going to say that you were going to give them away because you your DMs were down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need I need more attention. I'm feeling lonely. Um, no, it's it's all. There's going to be an email that goes out. I mean, my understanding, and this could all change. Um, I believe the current plan is that you know we're going to email out to all the people that are on the waiting list uh, prior to just turning them on, um, and those people get a the first bite at the apple and then uh, the rest of the orders get to be filled, but there's going to be plenty of inventory for anybody who wants them. Well, so. that, that's what I was going to ask you. Is, is it a inventory issue? Like you just want to make sure that you guys have enough or is it, you know, getting them like maybe quality control? Like you guys are like, well, I mean, I know Hawk doesn't finish their welds and they didn't do any <laughs> testing, but like, you know, we oh, got like, weld. If, if people want welds, that costs extra. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if we only do actually, like three quarters of the welds, you know, the, the one stick doesn't have any welds right. on it. It's all, uh, it's all machine. It's all, yeah, it's really pretty cool, but you ship them um, without those roll pins. It's, it'll be all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you, you have to assemble the thing. <laughs> if you want them put together, that costs extra. No. Um, they come fully assembled, <laughs> uh, unlike other sticks. But yeah, no, the uh, mine came fully the, assembled. They just took a long time to welcome. get here, <laughs> and and they were wrapped in stealth strip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Really cool stealth strip too. And not to mention, they have the custom Urban Bowman reflective paint in the steps going up and down. Yeah, I saw that post, and I was like, I looked at mine, and I was like, oh yeah. Hmm. Right in the video. <laughs> and they're, apparently, they're extra sharp too. Like you can shave with them because he's already wrecked a bow rope. So no bowstring. Oh, bowstring. Did you I mean. did you clip a bowstring with them? Uh, I just nicked a couple strands. <laughs> My daughter's with been the, cut with them. I've been cut with them. <laughs> they're really sharp. I I did not sharpen those at all. Uh, uh, we just talked to we just talked to Dan about it. He's like, yeah, you must have one of the first sets because we had to we had to. Uh, take we, care of that issue yeah, we had to redo the the standoffs he's like i need to send you some other ones <laughs> do they well no those are um those have the little like 45 degree bevel on them but yeah i think that there are there's another version yeah. i had one of the versions that didn't have the grade eight bolts on on one that i had so i had i had two sets of those b6 um i bought the ones that you have then sold them. Cause I was buying climbing spurs and I was like, if I have any sticks in my garage, I will not teach myself how to use these spurs. I was fully committed to the spurs for a solid two weeks. And I fell uh, using the spurs I had double gaff out. And I was like, fuck these things. These things are terrifying. Um, I need to buy more beef sticks. <laughs> and so um, bought more beef sticks. They came in, I was using them. And I was climbing up a tree and I was like, it was in the dark and I was using my carry as you go aider and I had it on the stick and I was like, why is my foot so close to the tree? And I moved my headlamp and looked and the stick was flat against the tree. And I was like, that looks weird. And I realized that the bolt had bent almost a full 90 degrees and it was like the standoff was bending 
And I was like, holy shit. And so I just like slowly eased down and, um, and stood on the stick and you know, obviously it didn't break and everything's fine, but that was a little terrifying. So I found out that, uh, the bolts that I had were like grade three bolts, not grade eight bolts. So I had to, had to swap those out. That was a little terrifying, but, um, yeah, it's good to, to check your equipment before you climb with it, but that won't be an issue with the one sticks. Um, yeah, we're just making sure that we have enough inventory for, for everybody that wants it. Because what we don't want to have happen is have people that, you know, want a product that they, they can't get. Yeah. That, that is unfortunate. Cause well, we've been there before <laughs> and we don't want to go back there. You know, we were, we were caught, uh, you know, really by surprise with the demand for, for the, um, mantis and, you know, it took us a long time to, to get out of the hole on order number wise. And we didn't want to do that again. And, uh, you know, that's why we did what we did with the phantom and kind of are now even trying to evolve that even more. So, and no, granted, I, I know him and I, I talked to him often. I haven't talked to him recently but um you know it, it's fun uh to talk to andrew blair on online because if you have any sort of question or anything about your order like they're on it i mean like you can't post a bad thing about like tethered anything as far as customer service or like shipping times or anything without him being on there like uh your order was sent on this day it's been four hours and 87 minutes since uh <laughs> like you pr- sent your order like we sent you the email check your spam folder like it's 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 hilarious to to like actually talk with him about all of the like emails and things coming back and forth and the people online like it, it's blair it's fun. blair's the man and he has this amazing ability to be on top of about a billion things at once uh and and he is he's a great dude and it's unreal how on the ball he is where like because i'm like i'm looking at one thing and then i'm like squirrel and then i'm looking at the other thing and squirrel on back to the other thing next thing you know i ship sticks to myself blair is the opposite <laughs> he's like he's got like a billion things he's like the maestro he's got a billion things going on he knows where they're all going my brain would would just catch on fire and explode if if I try to do that. I mean, uh, I can put an insane amount of attention into something, but everything else in the, in the peripherals is, you know, might as well be shipped to myself, uh, at the wayside. Cause it's, it's not getting focused on. Oh, uh, so, so before I'm going to cut Adam off, cause since this is a bow hunting, you know, the bow hunter chronicles and we haven't even really talked about your, we haven't even really talked about your bow so what bow are you shooting and i mean i mean i'm shooting the the matthews v3 uh shooting the 31 in uh 30 and 30 and a half inch draw length um it's 65 pounds tuned to 68 and uh it is smoking some carbon uh, I'm shooting the day six arrows, which are sweet. Um, they're about 550 grains all said and done. And, um, 
this boat is shooting them at about 278 feet per second, which is pretty impressive for a 68 pound bow and 550 grains of no-no. Oh, yeah. What what stabilizers are you shooting? We're shooting the uh, the Matthew stabilizers. I got a 10 inch uh, bar on the front. Okay, that's it. No back bar. So how are you? I mean, there's I hear guys saying you know awesome. I mean, completely best bow and then i hear some guys talking about there's a little bit of uh, maybe torque possible in the wrist you know how what what are your thoughts on that uh it is as dead in hand as anything i've ever shot if, if anybody has any bow torque on any bow um the first thing to do is check the timing like i remember geez it was probably like <clears throat> five or six years ago now but there were some people that were like, I think it was the E32 from Elite. And it was either people absolutely loved it or they were like, this bow sucks. And what it turned out was it was like the timing. If you had one that was timed correctly, it was the greatest bow you ever shot. And if you had one that the timing was off on, it just really felt bad. Um, I haven't shot a Matthews V3. I mean, I've tuned a pretty good pile of them probably about a dozen or so now um every one of them felt awesome so i haven't had one that that hasn't felt good but that's probably because i mean i'm timing everything before i even draw it myself in the hand so um yeah i i would just guess that if anybody is complaining about the draw or the shot it's it's probably timing but um it's a killer bow, man. It's like very, very, very steady at full draw, which is, is pretty cool. I mean, even the 27 is very steady at full draw, uh, which is surprising considering how long my drawing is. I shouldn't be able to shoot a bow that short axle to axle. Right. Have you shot the, uh, have you tried out the Atlas at all? I have not. Right, Cause that was that one right there. The Atlas looked like, like man, for my draw length, you know, I can, I can get away with shooting a 30 and a half, but most of the time I'm shooting a 31 inch draw and I mean with a seven inch brace light and all that. That's yeah, that's pretty sweet. I mean, so the, the Matthews all run about a half inch long. So, um, most of the bows that I'm shooting for Matthews are, are called out a half inch short of what they actually are. And then when I'm, Right. Uh, tuning it, you know, I'll make sure that the draw length is absolutely perfect. But I think a lot of people that aren't like diehard archers also don't realize that, uh, you know, unless you check the actual measurement of your draw length, uh, there's a decent chance that what you're drawing is not what's printed on the bottom of the cam. And I mean, that's just a byproduct of, of how the bow works right like right. if you're if your strings aren't the right length it's going to throw off the draw oh, um yeah. you know whether they're stretched or maybe they're just a twist long or short from the factory or whatever yeah yeah there's i mean then you throw d loops on them and <laughs> everything yeah exactly i'll never forget i, I was walking through a cabela's oh, where was this it was in like things in missouri we're walking through the cabela's and there's some kid buying a bow it's like the day before opening like bow season and uh i overheard this but the the mom was like 
So you don't have any that are in his drawing? And the, the bow tech was like, no, but it's fine. I can just put like a two-inch D-loop on there and it'll work. And I, was, oh. I, looked, I like looked over her and I just gave her this look and I was like, I shook my head like, uh-uh, no, uh-uh. No. <laughs> like, like, do not do that. And she kind of, she saw me and she looked at me and was like, okay, uh, we're going to pass. You know? And I was like, geez, like, come on, man. Like, like, that kid so easily could have walked out of there with like a 26-inch draw bow with a two-inch D-loop on it and Thought it was normal, like an old school overdraw. Right. <laughs> oh man. What? Yeah, we're going through a uh, complete bow overhaul here. Yeah, the, you guys uh, shooting the PSEs still? I mean, when I saw you last year, that was when uh, all the the NTN bows came out. You guys were pumped on them, right? Yeah, I was pumped. I've got one hanging here. I. Uh got it in 60 pound limbs and then built it with 70 pound limbs went out west spent three weeks flinging arrows at animals and wounding them and uh pretty much lost all my confidence in that bow which oh. i don't know if it's just if it was me or the bow but i ended up pulling out my old hoyt and it was just like spot on again so uh, i'm switching up uh, i mean it's a good bow and all but i just I can't shoot it. <laughs> I mean, when you when you took those limbs uh, off and put them back on, did you? I mean, did you like bear shaft tune it and have any issues with that? I bear shaft tuned it. I I mean, I had I. The thing is, I can't. I was getting a right tear, right tear, right tear. Freaking shim the cams over. End up for one when I took it apart. I think I went over this on one of our podcasts, but when I pulled it apart, this these bows have quarter inch axles, so it's one of the largest axles I've seen in bows. Mm-hmm. And I pulled it apart, and I was switching limbs, and I I couldn't get this the axle back through the cam, and I, so I was like twisting the axle, and all of a sudden I'm like the whole cam is wobbling. I'm like, what the hell? Did it is the did I pop out one of the bearings in the cams? What? So I pulled it out, and I. I laid the axle on the workbench and spun it, and I could see it wobble. So I, I chucked it up in my drill press, took out the dial indicator, and it was sixty thousandths out, bent. I'm like, wow. How how do you, for one, how unless I dry fired that bow, which I didn't, there's no way I could bend that freaking quarter inch axle. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So that was so that right there was like holy shit. So I got a hold of you know, uh, my buddy Mitch, and he got a set of axles and chim kits, all that overnighted and rebuilt it. And I mean, I spent hours just trying to get it to where I could get it to bear shaft tune. And it was close, but then I'd start shooting my broadheads and I was still getting this, this weird wobble. And so I'd switched, you know, I was shooting my nocturnal uh, lighted knocks and, I know they have some flex in it, so I went back to the I'm shooting my Easton Axis. Uh, I ended up going with 300, uh, a 300 spine. And, you know, I'm shooting 31-inch draw length, 70 pounds. You know, it ends up being a, I think it's 29 and three-quarter inch arrow. So with 50 grains of brass up front, 100 grain head. And they end up being right around, like, what years are, 550, 560. And I just, my broadheads were hitting like 
two, three inches right. Jeez. You know, shooting a fixed pool. And it was like, like before, like I got them all built and I was like, all right, I'm on, I'm on. It's shooting pretty good, you know. And, and then I just, I was just shooting my broadheads, just tuning, you know, just sighting it in for my broadheads then and got out west and ended up having a shot at an antelope at 35 yards. And then I watched the arrow just do like a huge corkscrew. And part of that was um, crawling around out in that heat and everything ended up, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but my D loop, I tie in, you know, do my tied in knocks and then tie my D loop. So it's pretty wide D loop, you know, if you look at mm-hmm. it. And what happened was, I don't know if it was because of the heat out there or whatever, it, my string must have, you know, you could lose a little wax, or whatever, it heated up, but ended up, it squeezed the center serving in between that. It crushed it basically. So I got, I'm like, I ended up, I knocked an arrow and I went to pull an arrow off and it actually ripped the freaking knock out of the arrow. And these are brand new arrows. So it's not like they're, you know, I do wax them a little bit. So it was so tight. I'm like, what the hell? So I started laying, I'm like, well, shit. So I got to my buddy's place out there in Montana, cut the D loop off. And of course I didn't have my, you know, serving jig or anything to, you know, serve it, put a new center serving on it. So I just had to deal it. So I ended up putting the, I brought my nocturnals, which have a little bit wider throat. And so it, it didn't, you know, it didn't get as much knock pinch or whatever, or it fit a little better. And so they were flying decent. At that point, what I should have done is just pulled out the Hoyt. But I really wanted to, you know, I wanted to kill something with that PSE. And I did. I ended up, I shot a mule deer, but same thing, a shot. And the mule deer was, it was a 35-yard shot. She was standing, like, quartering away. It was like a perfect, and I was, like, completely calm at that shot. It was just a, I was just filling the tag for me, you know. And mm-hmm. shot. And I watched the arrow just kind of and hit her back, you know, right, right behind the last rib, you know, so it wasn't, mm. it, it killed her. She was dead. You know, I, I walked down, ended up going down to the truck, come back. We drove back up the mountain, walked down and found her right away. But it was just, that was just like taking the freaking confidence. It was just draining it out of me. And, yeah, absolutely. And then end up shooting a, freaking nice bull and it was at that point i was just like so wound up and pulled the trigger and shot him high in the back didn't even freaking he ended up running off and bugling but oh yeah do you at least you got into some animals i mean <laughs> uh sound like between the antelope mule deer and and big old elk that's pretty awesome but yeah there's nothing worse than having a bow that is like troublesome or not doing what it's supposed to be doing i had a uh i had an elite bow years ago that i got dipped in first light camouflage and i got it back and it was all assembled and uh i could not get it to tune and i mean dude that was a solid cam limb bow but i i swapped the limbs on it i swapped the shims Everything I did, I could not get it to, uh, to to tune. And eventually, I realized that the uh, the bearing was not fully seated in the cam. 
yeah. and I just pressed it in there like another thousandth of an inch and all of a sudden it was perfect and shooting bullet holes. But um, it's just, it's amazing how like, I mean, if the axle's off a little, I mean, obviously, or the, the bearing or whatever, um, but a lot of people don't think to look at that, but that's surprising that your axle was bent yeah. and it was still troublesome. Yeah. And I mean, and I, I did the same when I got back home, I am like, I'm going to go through this whole ball. ended up building a whole new string for it. Uh, I ended up pulling it all apart, went through, you know, check the limb pockets. And I did end up swapping the limbs, you know, left to right, just be, you know, for the torque. And yeah. the, the one thing, you know, it's like the one thing about this bow, you know, it's got that, that, you know, quad track where, you know, the split, um, cable system. So it's supposed to pull it parallel, whatever, but they still have the old style shims in that axle, which are a pain in the ass, you know? So you got, yeah. you got one, like a wide, wide shim, and then you got two thin ones. Well, the thin ones are, are like about the same size as the freaking slot for the, your clip. So when you're going to slide, you know, when you're putting this, when you're putting the cam back in and trying to shim this at, at a, without ripping the bow all the way apart, it, that end up, it ends up sliding into the slot as you're pushing the, the axle through, you know? Yeah. It drops down. It drops. It's like super hard to like, yeah, get so that. and it's obviously it's such a tight and you're in tight quarters and you're, I'm trying to, you know, push it in there and deal with it. It's just a pain in the ass. It's, I mean, completely, I can do it. No problem. But you look at that compared to like a Matthews with the top hat system, you, you take the screw off, slide it out, pull the cam out of the way, pop out the top hat, switch them, whatever, put it back in. I mean, it's just like, bam, bam, like no problem. It's not. The Matthews top hat system is, is roll tied simple. It is so easy. Yeah. And it's Uh, like thinking about, you know, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to shim. Like I got two Matthews hanging up right here right now. The one, my buddy won from the Bowman's club and I got it, you know, it's a, uh, I think it's a verdicts. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like, well, I'm shooting it through the paper, checking it, whatever. Eh, maybe I'll swap it out, check out the top cam, you know, whatever, the top hats. No, I'm not even going to freaking think about it. it. takes two seconds. Now with my, and he also has, he went and bought the PSE just like I, he ended up getting, he didn't get the NTN, but he just got the standard 33 Evo. And we went through the, all the same shit with that bow when I was getting it. And he was like, it, the draw cycle is great and it shoots good. Like until you start really trying to dial it in. And he's like, man, it's just like, I have to be so precise on my grip and everything. And see that, but that's the part that is hard to deal with is the fact that like, okay, if I'm sitting punching foam at 40 yards, like off my deck, yeah, I have good form. Right. Um, but if I'm twisted up in a tree and there's a 140 inch deer, or even if I'm twisted up in a tree and there's a doe at 20 yards. Exactly. Like, I mean, you just, it's very hard to not have, um, you know, any bit of torque or pressure or just not like, just have your grip jacked up. Right. Um, you want the most forgiving setup, you know? And that, absolutely. And that's, I'm like, and it, and that was one of the things with that bow is like seven inch brace height, 33 inches axle to axle. And I'm like, it's just not once, you know, I got down, got, when I got down to the nuts and bolts, it just, 
it's not forgiving enough for me. So, so you're, are you back to the Hoyt or are you on the, on a new mission for something else? Oh, it's, I'm, I'm shooting my 2018 RX one yet right now, yeah. But, but yeah. So looking at the Matthews, um, I did get a chance to shoot the new Botex uh, before they're released. I mean, so I'll, uh, I guess we're going to have to see where everything goes, but after, I mean, last year, when we were at ATA, I was like dead set on the Matthews. Like after shooting the Matthews the year before, I'm like, that VXR is, you know, a tenth of, a, a, you know, percentage better than I think it was the Verdicts or yeah. whatever. I'm like, mm-hmm. that's going to be my bow. And I mean, I went back and forth shooting. And then I was like, well, you know, the adjustable draw length and, but I wasn't even thinking about like the switch, the switch weight technology. Fuck, that's that's freaking off for me because I'm always dicking around. I'm like, I got mm-hmm. eighty pound limbs, sixty pound limbs, seventy pound limbs. I mean, I got a freaking drawer full of them. You know, I'm always dicking <laughs> around with them. How 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 nice is it just to swap out a freaking module? You know, it's pretty nice. So <laughs> <laughs> it's even. I've been messing around with the Garmin Bosite lately and it's real nice to have the different arrow profiles on it too so like you know if you're shooting 3d you can shoot the real light arrow and uh have a setup for that and if you're shooting your hunting arrow you can just switch over to the hunting arrow and uh keep bouncing around it's pretty cool so yeah so we'll see we got some uh uh, debating to do yet but it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting year we'll just put it that (laughs) way (laughs) <laughs> that's good interesting is fun it can't get more interesting than last year <laughs> right. well i think that that's the the thing and it's funny because you guys are talking about that grip and stuff it's like before you know when we were just sitting here waiting to do the podcast i'm like because we were ta- having the same conversation i'm like how the fuck were you shooting that bow at 105 111 yards and popping balloons and you know you can't shoot a anything you can't shoot a coyote at 20 yards and he's like well i was really focused on my form and all my stuff and yeah know, when i'm shooting like, when i'm shooting 100 yards i'm completely 100 percent focused on everything you know it's all about form you know looking down at the target basically it's just i'm just seeing a target but the rest right. of it i mean the other 99 percent of my focus is all on what i'm doing you know, and when you're out in the woods and all the shit's hit, hitting the fan, it's like, yeah, you can, you can think you're going to do that. But when you pull back on a bull for the first time ever, and he's freaking just bugled and chasing a freaking cow up the hill, up the mountain at you. And holy shit, that's like, you can try to, you can try to go through all the motions, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's, i of all the shooting I do, I just lost my shit, you know, and that, and the bow just wasn't forgiving enough, you know, I I mean, it was me, but it didn't help. So, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it, it, I, it's easy to focus on your form when all you're doing is, you know, punching a balloon at whatever yardage or hitting a target. Right. Um, when you're focused on killing a critter, I mean, form goes out the window. It's like, can I slip an arrow through there? Or like, you know, right. 
is he going to bust me? Did, did he see me move? You know, it's, um, whole different story. Yeah. It's, you know, I, uh, I was definitely pretty frustrated and, you know, end up my brother also, he bought the same bow. He went, I mean, after I was, you know, my brother and I have kind of a rough relationship. We don't do a whole lot of talk at anything. And I was surprised, you know, like when I got back from ATA, he was talking, asked me about the bow and everything. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get one. And he ended up getting one at the same time. He ended up ordering freaking the knock on elevate rest and everything. And I built it for him. And matter of fact, he was in Colorado at the time I was, I was headed out to Montana and he's like, he called me up and he's like, dude, I can't get this bow to shoot broadheads, man. And, uh, got back and he ended up, that bow is for sale and he bought a new prime, you know? Really? Yeah. So was that a common problem with those, uh, I just, uh, from my experience, I don't know. I mean, I even, I tried looking it up. I'm like, man, you know what? I want to just, if I could get a hold of freaking Dudley and talk to him, like, hey. And I even noticed, like, Dudley has always shot, like, a, a bare grip. Like, in matter of fact, when he first was had that bow, when it first came out, he didn't have a grip on it. He just had the bare, you know, riser. And then I noticed, like, on the bow that he shot for Total Archer Challenge and all that, and then his other videos that he had put the the rubber PSE grip back on it. So I'm like, I'm wondering if he was having some kind of grip issues or, you know, as well. But who knows? I mean. Sounds I like it. So, yeah. But, I mean, there's other guys out there that shoot it, shoot it great. I mean, I know Travis, he's shooting one. And it's just, I don't know, maybe it's just my my ability to tune it. Or maybe they got shitty form and it just kind of <laughs> offsets. <Yeah. laughs> I mean, you're shooting expandable. That's what everybody else does. <laughs> right. Oh, man. So, Taylor, like, man, we've been on here for for a minute. Um, and you, we've kind of come, like, the full gamut, like, from you, you know, your your hunting background, your – um, you know, the, the gear, like you're not just full of shit and you only kill these deer because there's a lot of them, um, you know, now to, to bow tuning. So like all of that is covered like on your YouTube channel and stuff like that. So like, where can people follow along with all the things that you're doing? And I mean, you do a lot of bow tuning and, you know, lots of videos and stuff that are, you know, not just sitting in the tree drinking coffee. No, the the most important thing people want to watch is my OnlyFans account, which is me in my basement, which, you know. It, it's you with those for, assless uh, first it's, yeah, it's, it's what all those boxes are really for, baby. My my love for it. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I put a ton of, ton of content out on uh, YouTube. It's under Hunt Urban. Uh, so, you know, you can always catch me there or on Instagram at Urban Bowman. Um, but yeah, there is a lot of bow tuning and gear tinkering, uh, going on between tree climbing and deer killing. So if you're into, uh, tinkering gear or, or deer, 
um, it would be enjoyable for you to watch that, I'd imagine. Or not. Who knows? Well, and it's not like the stuff that John and I do. I mean, he's got like a whole production crew, generally speaking, and then the stuff he does at his house is like very high quality content. Like your your video stuff is on point. It's probably on the that anal side of it too. Is like, <laughs> yeah, you've got it dialed in. So unfortunately for my my poor brain, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. I I just. A long time ago, I felt like I'm just not going to, if I do something, I'm going to do it 110%. So that's how I end up with a bunch of like professional camera gear and lighting and crap, audio and uh, dudes with cameras that know how to use them following me around. (laughs) So that's always a a good thing to to have for sure. Awesome, man. I, I appreciate you taking the time to just catch up with us and, uh, you know, do our annual uh, drink beer and hang out. So <laughs> I know, man. I, thank you for having me on. I, I, it's hard to believe that uh, that it's been, well, I guess, three years, 2018, uh, since I was last on. But I think you guys were one of the first podcasts I ever did. Um, I think you might have been my second podcast ever. I'd have to go back and look at that. But I know I did um, – you guys are one of the first, so thanks for having me on again. Hopefully next year, or not even that long uh, from now, we're together drinking beverages in person without masks on. That would be really nice. Yeah, that'd... yeah, yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to it. So, <laughs> hope, until then, hopefully, <laughs> if you guys want to come down and uh, work on your target practice, the door's always open. Yeah, well, maybe we... give me some tuning tips. <laughs> just bring an easier boat to tune and we'll be fine putting putting those little shims in uh, like between the cam and where that axle comes through can be a really difficult process I actually built a little 3D plastic clip to hold that in there um, when I was tuning that elite because I got so tired of like having my fat fingers be like numb from working on something you can't feel your fingertip and having it fall through the crack and oh, yeah. be lost. <laughs> oh, yeah, the 3D printer to the rescue. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, we will uh, we'll definitely uh, take you up on that. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. We'll talk to you guys soon. Yeah.
After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.